Warning, the following episode of Orsini's Uncensored Mind contains explicit language and adult content. The thoughts and opinions stated on the show are reflective of A.J. Orsini and his guests exclusively. But seriously, guys, the show's called Uncensored. If you got a problem with bad language, I really don't give a shit. Hey guys, AJ here, and we are bequeathing unto all of you episode 165, and as advertised, we're doing something a little bit different. When the show began, I thought I would hit a lot of topics all at once, and along the way we've gotten really wrestling-centric, which is fine, I love wrestling, but tonight, pro wrestling takes a back seat. We're going to go down memory lane. For all you folks out there which are smoking Xboxes and your uh, Avenger, PS5, whatever the fuck things you got going on, I hope you're enjoying your new consoles, but you best not forget where you came from, brothers and sisters. That's right. We're going down memory lane. We're talking Netflix high score documentary on video games. We're going all the way, all the way back to the very beginning, all the way to today we're gonna break it all down and i'm gonna get this whole thing started but i gotta click hold on i gotta it's gonna take a minute to get started here uh let me let me fire this baby up hold on one second okay hold on i'm gonna fire this up real quick i'll get i'll get the document started soon enough hold on guys give me a minute uh takes a minute to fire it's gotta warm up there we go We'll get there. Hold on. I think it's 56 megabytes or something like that. Yeah, let's smack it around a little bit. Okay. There we go. Welcome to Orsini's Uncensored Mind, and now your host, AJ Orsini. How the hell is everybody out there? We are your boys. We're your main men. We're the same Jive Soul brothers that came from exactly the same mother. We are your hosts of Orsini's Uncensored Mind. I am AJ Orsini, and I'm here with Brother Dave. Brother Dave, are you excited about today's conversation here? Yes. Are you still giggling about I'll that opening? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I'm. I'm rather excited. Yes, for that sure. is the this first is, time uh, Dave. This is a little bit more down my realm, so yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> this is Dave did not know I had that prepared. I just told him it would be something different than the usual. So, the uh, the old dial-up startup modem. Uh, did you did you start getting those same heebie-jeebies you got before? Uh, when it's I was, funny too. I was expecting. It's funny because when I was watching this, they showed that, and mm-hmm. then they showed like the OG AOL, like with yeah. the different welcome. colors across the You've top, and then like the the welcome screen when you come in. Hell oh yes. man, it's bringing the feels back. Nope, nobody got more hype than me when those new AOL discs would show up randomly at homes. Here's 6.0. Oh shit, 6.0. Damn, back in the day when you're when you're um. Software updates came in through the oh mail. Oh, my God. And you didn't even order them. They would be, like, attached to, like, magazine material or phone books and shit. Was like, that oh, you didn't subscribe to. You didn't subscribe to. It just shit wind up at your house. It's like, here's an AOL disc. What? 
Yes. Shit, man. Okay, so oh yeah. my god. So I told everyone we were going to be doing video games. Now, when I first started this podcast, uh, I dabbled in a lot of different topics, and I bounced around a lot. And you know, as any good entertainment host would do, uh, started getting a feel for what people liked and didn't like. And Lord and behold, wrestling became kind of the predominant thing. But I've always wanted to really sit down and get balls deep into video games about something about it. I was like, it's something at some point, because it's a, it's a passion I used to have long, long ago. And I could tell that it's gone, because I think I'm the only person on the planet right now who doesn't give a shit about the new Xbox or the PS5. I know I will have one at some point. I'm just not in a rush like everybody else seems to be to get these new consoles. But I did see this, oh, I think originally I saw this about a month ago. And, uh, and I knew when I saw it, and what I'm talking about is the uh, Netflix documentary, Netflix, Netflix limited series, High Score. It's a documentary that took place it's in six parts, about 45 minutes an episode. Breaks down uh, everything you need to know about video games, essentially, or at least how it started, how we got to where we are today. No, no, we were right the first time. Literally Everything. everything everything they broke it all down the first time i saw Bro, they, it, I they like, told you how modding started like that, yes. this is this thing was nuts and it was funny because they didn't just tell you they the, the people who they showed did it the people who did it they're like this is how we modded this shit and uh so I, the first time i saw it i was like i've fucking got to talk to somebody about this just, i have to do this at some point and of course i got sidetracked because the rona and everything else everything that's been going on but ever since I've had you on the show, and everyone who knows you knows that you're pretty big on the gaming, right? You're kind of a gamer. It's kind of, it's kind of my life. Kind of, kind of what you do, right? Yeah. This guy used to come visit my house from a different state bringing a small TV yep. and a console just to leave running. Yep, don't forget the VCR because I had the VCR hookup, so I needed the VCR needed as the well. the VCR as well, right. Yeah. <laughs> This this guy uh, that I, you are going to be hearing from tonight has damn near dedicated his whole life to this shit. Uh, whole life. I, I was a part of this journey with him very early on in his life and fluttered away over time. But I think even you were a little surprised I was interested in touching on this topic. I was. You say that a lot lately, or not lately, but you say that sometimes about games and how I don't, I don't have... I almost have zero memory of you playing video games. Right. I really do, except for, except for the wrestling ones. I do remember the wrestling and creating characters and all that fun shit. But past that, very vaguely, do I ever remember you playing video games? That's why I'm like so interested so, on. So here's we have two goals for this episode. One, obviously, to educate the masses on how this life really came together. Okay, we're oh going to be God. sharing a lot of information. I wrote a bunch of notes down. We, too many. We're not going to get to all of my notes. But definitely enough to have some civil conversation about everything that interested us about this show, about video games. This is more about the world of video gaming than it is the actual show. The reason why I'm talking about the show in particular is because their format helped me decide what it is I wanted to talk about. Because that was one of the problems I had when it came to video games. I didn't really know where to start. Where do you start cool. with this? There's so much going on. I love they did this the way perfectly. they did it. Right. The way that they did it, even going back to certain points from before to accentuate points that were made later, it was perfection. So using their format, we're going to have our discussion here today. So before we do, that was, that's one goal, right? We're going to educate the masses. The second 
is I guarantee you, once we start talking, I am going to hit you with a lot of memory lightning bolts, okay? I promise you... When we start talking, I got him you're just going to be like, oh, shit, I remember that. Because a lot of the things that we saw in this show, I played, I owned, I had a piece of at some point. Just a lot of it. And once we start talking about it, I promise you, it'll all come flooding back. So, Because I think I, as I was watching this, I can pinpoint the exact moment I fell off. I, I, okay. No, I'm interested in that. Yeah. Because we'll I don't get, remember it. Yes, and I'm going to get to it because I... It was like a passing of the torch. I think literally I handed you a three-disc box that was there was the torch. There was one moment. There was one moment that changed my video game love forever. Yes, and I think, I think as, as funny as it is, as, much, as little that I remember, that one moment that I do remember that's not wrestling related might very well be the one that you're referring to. I think it so is. So we'll get to yes. that. So we'll get to that. I think that's around episode three. So we'll get to that. So let's go ahead. Let's start talking about what the fuck we're talking about here. So obviously, I have mentioned already, this is a documentary series, limited series uh, for Netflix. Uh, it's still on there now. It's called High Score, H-I-G-G-H, not high as in the usual arcade H-I. And uh, they break it down. We're, talk, we're talking about 8-bit games, even games before that, even the original game. What was that? I have Text games. Text games and printing games, yeah. I have it here mm-hmm. written down, the original one from ni- the 1960s, Space War. Just that one little piece, that little triangle that just shoots things and goes off and then moves around based on physics, like all mm-hmm. the way back in the day. So it's funny because they didn't mention that until like later. They later. did, but again, the callback. They introduced the yeah. guy in the first episode, but then they tell that little piece of story toward the end. Uh, but again, uh, it, it, first of all, I just want to mention visually. I just thought this is fantastic. They a lot of the their, editing, the cutting, the editing yeah, in this editing was, was just great. insane. The cutaway scenes being in eight bit. The way they told the story, not using uh, for whatever real footage they didn't have, they did designed it in eight bit, so it's still video game themed. I thought that was great. The sound effects, that everything they did in this, man. Yeah. If, if especially if you grew up in that old school, just this is gonna hit you, man. It's gonna hit you in the right spot. Nostalgia is heavy in this. Yeah, and the, and it's, you know what's funny though, because there's people that I showed this to who didn't grow up in that area. And watched it, and they were intrigued. Just the way that it was done, it grabbed their attention. So for people, it's a very who, good job. Yeah, for people who who didn't grow up with this, or maybe heard bits and pieces, um, it's still a very very interesting thing. And I love the fact that it's digestible. It's forty five minute parts. You know, obviously, if you did this whole documentary in one sitting, you're talking about a four hour sit. That's not gonna, that's not gonna do it. Having it in parts was a great idea. It's just really well done. And so we're gonna start off with episode one, and it starts off the first thing that we hit. Okay, they sat down and said, "Okay, we're gonna talk video games. We're gonna do a whole documentary series. What's the first fucking thing we can possibly talk about? Where do we start?" And they started in 1978 with Space Invaders. Is many gamers, I'm sure, have this discussion on a to- on occasion. But it's almost like the start of human civilization. Where do you start with this? And one of the biggest successes in video game history, at least when it began, Space Invaders in 1978, do you have, or is that too far back for you? Do you have any memory 
being at an arcade playing Space Invaders. I have I have memory. I don't I I don't know where. It may have been some arcade, but I do remember as a kid seeing the old school like tabletop like, version like of the it. Pizza Hut sit one. Down. Yeah, where you sit down and you like look down on it as if like the table, it's a table was a video game. Huh? The table had like a video game thing in it. Correct. Yes. yes. And I believe it was Space Invaders. They need to bring that shit back. You used to have Pac-Man in there. You can pick your game. Yeah. Well, that that's I do. So all of these games I have touched at one point, I mm-hmm. think, except for Pong. Okay. I've been, yeah, I've been I don't think I've ever physically touched Pong, but other than that, I think I've touched pretty much all these games. Whether it been old school, like call, you know, the old school retro game type deals or whatever the case may be, but yes, at some point I've touched these games, like all of them. Right. So, Space Invaders was created by Tomohiro Nish- Nishikado. I'm gonna try my best with these names. Uh, he Sorry. based it off of the World of Wars books by H.G. Wells, which was later made a movie by Tom Cruise somewhat loosely based so for those of you more modern in in, in your uh your uh thought process with these uh world of the worlds i loved the og video game the hat the thing with the hat and whenever you lift the hat it's a different object or whatever i'm like mm-hmm. whoa mm-hmm. i was like you guys uh very easily entertained back in the day. <laughs> well, dude, playing PS5 right now, and this dude's like, you just lift the hat, and it's a ball. And that was the magic, dude. <laughs> that, that, and as we go on, it starts to amplify. But yeah. that right there, what you just said, is the whole magic, for me, personally. <laughs> behind, it's not even video games, to be honest with you. Right. It's, the, it's the whole magic behind how all these pieces... These are people... Now you're talking about a time like way before the internet at this point. Way before. way before the internet. Way before the internet. And and somehow they're still finding these artists and creators from between Japan and North America. They're still coming into contact with each other just from word of mouth. Like it's not like you can go you're checking out YouTube and you see this guy in Japan doing some cool stuff. Like these guys are just working within their own area, and it's so massive that it's just reaching across, yeah. and people are hearing about it, and they're traveling to. It's just nuts, man. The whole, all the way this all works is just insane. But go ahead. So, so the guy, so the guy who created this, he pulled out his programming book. Did you see that shit? How old that yeah. book was? They, yeah. He he programmed this thing with a fucking pencil. Mm-hmm. Like he wrote in the book. And this game, uh, he he created all the different looks and the designs. I mean, just off the top of this fucking guy's head, and I laughed mm-hmm. because uh, the guy the guy admits he goes, you know, I, he made the game, and he's like he's like I I can't I'm not even really that good at it. He can't get past level two. And he's like, <laughs> and everybody's like everybody's so superhumanly good at this game. They 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 said that this game was so successful they actually had a a coin sor- shortage. Yep. In Japan. That's how mm-hmm. uh, fa- how successful this game was. The 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 two things that they mentioned in this, and we'll move on from this. The introduction of the high score, putting that number mm-hmm. up there for people to beat, and definitely something that I wanted to ask you very specifically about because I know you know this probably better than most. I instantly thought of you when I heard this word, flow. 
the mm. loss of track of time just being in the zone the way they explained yeah. it where it's just like the right amount of challenges just the perfect formula for you to start gaming at 4 p.m. and all of a sudden it's 3 a.m. and you don't know what the fuck happened. I know you've experienced this. Talk to me about flow. Oh, man, anyone who is into anything that they enjoy experiences flow. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to gaming specifically, man, it's just... Later, it's amazing to me that you could get flow so early, like in something like Space Invaders, which is speaks volumes to the coin shortage as well because you can't play this at home you have to play yeah, this at the time. yeah exactly so there's tons of people experiencing this side by side by others just sitting in there for hours waiting to get on next sitting on there forever trying to figure it out it's just a matter of just being locked in man and the high score thing is what created the flow yeah that's what it was i mean i think people loved the game and had fun with it and it was a blast and it was it was it was different entertainment that was so satisfying because you didn't really have that really anywhere else so if i'm not mistaken this was the was this the one that kind of started uh what like kind of started arcades in yes, general? Uh, I was just going to get to that right. This was one of the first systems <clears throat> that was involved with the casing, the big right. plastic thing, the wood actually for most of them, where uh, right. yeah, they had these dark, damp rooms that they would later call arcade where they would have right. all these different games set up, and this one ate up all the money, baby. Everyone wanted to get yep. in on Space Invaders. Uh, it's funny we talk about the casing because you mentioned earlier, you used a word earlier, uh, modding. Right, my right. I have a I have a, a, a there's a phrase used in my home that is feared, and my wife uses it all the time. She calls it mod box, and when we were, I, when I was watching this, it was the first thing she thought of. She go fuck, that's the guy who did the mod box. I was like, oh yeah, this is the <laughs> this is the original mod box. We got introduced. Stop. No offense to anybody listening, but we got introduced to quite possibly. The three whitest men I've ever met in my entire life. Does so let me, so let me, let me explain this one here real quick because yes, please this is honestly, this is honestly probably my favorite part of this whole documentary. Awesome, go for is it. Is this right here? So you have you have this guy who uh, purchased these arcades and put them in locations, and then started to realize that they're making money. So then he starts putting them out and more and more and more, and he's seeing a lot of success. People are are, are putting a lot of money. He's he's getting instant gratification. Are right? you talking he's about Doug McRae? I'm sorry, what? The, the gentleman you're referring to is Doug McRae. Yeah. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Well, the the original the the first guy they introduced the first white guy, Doug McRae, right? Before the three before the other two guys. Yes. So yes, he starts putting Gringo starts Numero putting Uno. Right. He starts putting the arcades out and they're making like massive money really fast. Right. But this was the really cool part that over time he started to realize that there's a drop. So he's making a lot of money and then the money slows down. So then he ends up putting something else in and then the money goes up and then the money and then the money starts to drop again. He's starting to realize this is happening anywhere around the two to three month mark where it starts to drop. And it's not that the people stop playing the game 
right. he realized that there was that they were actually just playing the game longer because in those in the older times when they make these games it's so it's very simplistic compared to what's out today right. so the same thing will always happen at the same time at the same speed it's all patterns they, they figured it's out the all patterns, patterns right exactly yeah right and they explained this a little bit in the space invader thing where they were talking about the the tournament and stuff it's all patterns so they noticed that it wasn't the game itself that wasn't good it was the fact that people were just acing it and then instead of paying playing for five minutes and putting another quarter they're killing the machine for like an hour and then they're just putting far less money in right. so these <laughs> these psychos came out and always look let's not replace the game let's just change it every once in a while who give them a new does challenge that? this is 1980 something he was like who yeah we're just gonna like change this Hey, you know what? It's coming in at uh, whatever speed every time. How about we change it so that now it comes in at a different speed and it feels different. We spend far less on moving consoles everywhere. And all we literally have to do is slide the board out, plug it in, and slide it back in. And now we have a whole new experience and we just reset the three-month mark and now money's going to keep pouring in. The thought of that to us now doesn't seem too far-fetched but in yeah. that time for someone's brain to work like someone that, had to be first but to hear the story, me away. yeah someone had to be first right like modding just didn't just happen someone had to be the first person to mod but to hear the guy who did it first say yeah i just said fuck it i'm gonna change it <laughs> so the, the, to add some specifics to the story that we're telling here i already said the name doug mccray he was the first guy he was the one i call him the pinball master he was no, i'm not sorry the uh, he was the one uh, putting all of these uh, machines together and all these different dorms and the game that you're referring to missile command that missile was, command, missile command is, is the name of the game uh, that uh, was super popular on campus. This is MIT we're talking about here. Super popular. It declined. The decline that you just mentioned happened in four weeks. That's when it okay. finally started to drop. Steve Golson, or otherwise forever known in my mind as God, uh, decided <laughs> that he, that was the guy that we're saying just decided on his own, fuck this, uh, this is whack. We're going to open up this box and change literally everything. And right. He, and and to hear him just just nonchalantly just tell the programming thing, I love the business side of it because I think that mentality that Steve explained still exists today. If you really think about it, the whole DLC concept kind of comes from that when you really think about it. He's yeah. laid out the whole formula about, you know, you get a quarter from a player. The ideal time for a player to really play a game should be just a few minutes so that they kick in another quarter and kick in another quarter. The longer they play, the less money they're going to spend. So that's why they tried to not only make it different, but more challenging. So what they ended up doing was they created super missile attack when they they, they added what they called enhancing kits. That was the stuff where you say where it added new components, it sped up the missiles, it changed the game. It kept the game at its basic principle, but changed it so immensely that it was almost like a whole new thing. And that's, yep. of course, where we get the mod thing from. They went from a four-week decline to adding Super Missile Crisis and earning literally $250,000 within the month. Within the month. From fucking dude. quarters. And again, that's a time where 
$250,000 is a lot more than $250,000. Forget the number for a second. If you think think the number is not impressive, which in the 80s, $250,000 is impressive. If you're not impressed by that, these three guys, Doug McRae, Steve Coulson, and eventually we'll get to Mike Horowitz in a second, paid their tuition at MIT with quarters from these fucking games. That's how successful these shits fucking were. And uh, we'll get to Mike Horowitz in a second because we have to meet another man before we get to Mike Horowitz. We have to meet the legend. Finally, we get to the man. One of the most talked about names in the history of video gaming, Toru Awatani, the creator of Pac-Man. And we have to talk about Pac-Man because my heart is broken, Dave. My Mm. heart is broken. I was so sad to find out uh, the only reason Pac-Man was created was for the ladies. Pac-Man was made for women, and I felt so bad because I love Pac-Man to this day. <laughs> and now he has tainted it for me. For, he, this man literally went on camera and said, hey, man, look, we have all these rooms, dark, damp, sweaty rooms with all these dudes scratching their balls and playing arcades. We have a whole market out there that no one's touching, right, except inappropriately because mm. it was the 80s. But we have mm. a demographic out there we'd like to hit. And they made hey, Pac-Man. Yo. And I was like, oh, man, Pac-Man was made for women. Fuck it. I'm still going to play it. I'm not a gay. I'll still do it. <laughs> I'm not a gay. Yeah, I'm not a gay, I'll, but I'll, I'll still I'll play. Enjoy. Yeah, I'll still play. I'll make play. time for it. I'll make time for it. Exactly. Aqua Team. So, uh, so did, were you shocked by that? Or did you even pick up on that when he said that? No, I think that kind of just went right over my head. Okay. All right. Another thing that might have went over your head. I really head, don't even remember that part, to be honest oh, with you. Okay. Another thing that I don't remember him saying that it was for women. You remember the, the lady where she was like, he's just so cute. He's just so cute. But there was one other thing that he did that fucked me up in my head, bro. Fucked my head up. Maybe it went over your head, didn't go over mine. So I was like, yo, I, I didn't know what to I had to pause the video, no lie. I paused the video and I took a, a walk around my living room. I said, no, nah, I didn't just hear that. And I hit the 10 second back button. I was like, he didn't say that. And he said it again. So there's a scene in the documentary where Toro is sitting down with a lot of young gentlemen and he's doing kind of like a seminar, you know, about the, about the, you know, game design and development and all the different Mm -hmm. ideas. Imagine paying for a fucking seminar on game design and fucking Toro Awatani walks in, my nigga. So he, mm. so he, I mean, he's got the Pac-Man design, and he goes, "We have this character, and he's got no nose, and you know, he's being very strict about the character. He wanted it to be a symbol and all stuff." And then he goes, and "This is this is straight up truth. If you watch the documentary, folks, he says this." And he travels around the map eating these cookies, and I said, "Oh Lord, have mercy!" Did he just say cookies? Have I been? They were cookies all along. Have I been calling they these were- motherfucking <laughs> things pellets for no reason? They're cookies. <laughs> They're cookies. You didn't zoom in. You, He's you want, eating. You're looking from a bird eyes view. You can't see them. He's eating cookies. I was like, cookies. oh no, I've been living a lie. Everything in my life is wrong. Are you really my wife, Mrs. O? Is this really my son? Do I live here? How long have I been in this box? <laughs> What's happening? I was like, what the fuck? But yeah, I know that's probably something people probably overlooked. But for me, I was I paused it. I was like, oh no, he said, he said, please tell me he misspoke. Do they call pellets cookies in japan i don't know did the translator fuck this up i don't i don't know i don't know but yeah he did invent pac-man and we're not gonna go too deep into pac-man everybody knows about pac-man what we are gonna talk about though is mike horowitz the third member of our gringo three amigos here 
the most Jewish of all Jews, if you look at him, I mean, this if you look up Jew in the dictionary, it's a picture of him and his family. His name, mm. Mike Horowitz. I mean, he's he's what Judas had in mind when he started mm-hmm. this whole thing. And he was an engineer. <laughs> he was brought in to help with the enhancement packs. And he altered mm-hmm. the Pac-Man game just a smidge. Uh, and he is the one who invented Ms. Pac-Man. That's how we got Ms. Pac-Man. He said it himself. I didn't reinvent the wheel, folks. Lipstick and a bow. That was it. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> I didn't reinvent the wheel. That's it. I just put lipstick and a bow. That was it. That was how it all happened. And those are your three guys. I mean, these guys really put a lot of work into changing things up. They changed things so much. They got into a little bit of legal trouble. You recall this action? Yeah, it's what got him a, a job, if I'm not mistaken. The uh-huh. the balls on these guys, though, at that time is yeah. just insane. That's what this was. I wanted to say a second ago that um, like you have mods now. Like for instance, there are tons of emulators and stuff out there. You can play games yeah. like Pokemon and like Mario, or whatever, with different kind of alterations to them. But my thing is to when I saw this is like the balls on these guys. They probably said to themselves. Yo, let's just mod this game. Like, no one thinks about it because it's not their property, right? But they're probably like, who's going to find out that we changed the game in this one case, in this one area? Like, no one's going to know that. Let's just change it. Let's mod it. Let's mod it to our benefit so we can make more money off of this one game that isn't our intellectual property. And somehow, (laughs) someone caught wind of it. And uh, yeah, they they caught a lawsuit. They caught a lawsuit. And it's funny that you say the ball's on these guys. But you know what? And they give themselves a little bit of leeway in the fact that these were pretty ballsy moves that they that they made here. But they were acting in an area that didn't have any precedent. There wasn't a whole right. there was no modding at this point. Atari or Midway or all these different companies that were involved with the processing of these games never had to worry about someone coming in and toying with their shit. Because at the time that these games came out, this was above and above, above and beyond anyone's brain capacity. These were like, right. this was as close to the year 2000 you can get in the 70s and 80s. This was like futuristic alien shit. Like, no one has seen electronics like this before. So for three random ass kids from MIT to come in and say, okay, well, what you thing. did was cool, but here's how we can make it better. They didn't know. Right. This case is exactly the reason why we have <laughs> these well, fucking this problems case, now. I think showed showed people because I'm telling you, it's just this this documentary is I looked outside of games when I watched this. And what this what this documentary documentary told, said about this is it made them realize that because just because they are at the forefront of something and like you said it's unprecedented. Right. People don't know to do this it doesn't exist they're creating something out of nothing because there's nothing to go off of it's just an idea in their own brain but what this tells you is just because you create something doesn't mean you're the only one that knows how to do it the person next to you could be just as smart he just doesn't have the idea but hey look i can make this block touch this block and the guy goes well, yeah, but I can make that do that infinitely. I didn't know that until you showed it to me, but now I can make that better. So it, show, it started showing them like, yeah, we're creating this, 
But once we put the idea in these smart people's brains, they're just going to start altering shit. <laughs> like crazy. Absolutely. And uh, for those of you wondering, I don't want to, you know, I know I, I really am encouraging people to watch this documentary, but we are reviewing it. So I'll go ahead and say that the lawsuit that we're referring to never actually went to completion. Atari oh. realized very, very quickly that if this was to go south, uh, they could be opening up the floodgates to a whole lot of other shit. So they ended up, rat. so they ended up settling out of court. And ended up hiring these three guys to come in and work for him. And then, yeah. as if their balls weren't big enough, when they get in, Man. right, they get hired by Atari. And they're like, okay, we're hired by Atari. We're going to keep making kits, whatever. So they make a kit for a game Atari doesn't own. So not only do they avoid a problem with Atari to the point where they get hired by Atari, then they go behind Atari's back and make a deal with Midway. Basically saying, like, if you don't let us sell this Miss Pac-Man kit, we'll fucking sue you yeah. too, and and right. and back them into a corner. It's like, hey, we beat Atari. We'll definitely beat you. And they're like, oh, please, please, son, no, master, no, don't get on me. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah bitch, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna sell Miss Pac. These motherfuckers put their dicks on the table. Uns- he even said himself, he's like, in a roundabout way, he was like, this is just young kid ignorance. Yeah, and somehow, but it, it off. worked because again, it's unprecedented. <laughs> uncharted territory uh, right. uh really briefly i wanted to touch uh, we're not going to really go too deep into it but i do want to mention just for respects for respect's sake uh there is kind of a mini story that takes place throughout the course of this episode you'll notice this pattern throughout the episodes uh, they like to get the, the the directors the writers of this documentary love to give kind of a personal aspect to the video games how much these games really affect lives as, as an individual and we meet an individual, Bill, I think she changed. he changed her name. But we have a, a transgender on this show who happens to be the Atari Space Invader World Champ. World and Champ. World Champ in Space Invaders. And they tell that great little story. And I love that story for the obvious reasons. Because when you meet this individual, it's a she. But when you look mm-hmm. at the old footage from the tournament, it's a he. And, right. the, and when she tells the story of that transition, but tells that transition through kind of the language of game, I thought that right. was really cool. Like, just listening to it, just, you know, through the game, I was able to kind of be myself. And, you know, it doesn't matter what you are when you play the game, which I always thought was the benefit of games. We knew this when we were kids. The adults in our lives couldn't get it. Now every adult knows how important these games are. You know what? I wanna, I wanna, I'm glad you said that so early. That was never a thing for me. I'm watching this. I'm noticing a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it took me out of the real world or I was this and it made me feel better or, you know, like I could I could be this and that. And I really put myself in the game. And I just, that was never my grab. I was never the person who like I, I know it's a very common thing, but I right. never put myself in. So that was it was very interesting seeing how many of these people played or got enthralled yeah. in video games because of that specifically and then to, they just fell in love yeah but you know what though as i'm watching this and it kind of makes me reflect when you really think back you and i were like we were the average american 80s and 90s kids there wasn't really anything that about us in particular that was really that off the wall neither one of us are gay neither one of us are transgender we're we're multiracial, so we're kind of getting shit on both sides, so it kind of evens out. Like we didn't really have 
too much shit going on. Like to see, like for instance, the one we're talking, the lady we're talking about now, this transgender lady. She, listen, I saw the footage. She was built like a dude, bro. Like she looked, she's built like a dude, but she didn't feel that way. So I'm sure, very much sure, that she endured quite a bunch of shit. Oh yeah, for sure. She, it was definitely an must have, and especially the, you take a fact that she's well over six feet. Okay, she's playing video games all day long. She is not exactly the most cosmetically pleasing person in the world, to her own words, right? But she felt free. Do, like, this was a major life-altering outlet for her. Not only the right. game itself, but then to become world champ. Like, I'm not just good at this game. I'm the fucking best in the world. You know world the cool thing? Those are the real champions. Those are the, not today. Don't get me wrong. There's some ill people today. But those were the real real champions yeah, they, they weren't nothing. they weren't practicing they were just playing yeah, yeah, and then they playing. went to these tournaments that they had to ride greyhound for yeah. for like 30 hours to go there and then they play and they're like oh my god i'm really good at this game i just did the first round and i'm like 150,000 points over everybody this was a like time, they had yeah. no clue this was at a time where they, they you you just hit it right there actually you just said it they didn't know how good they were like she said, just I just played. It. And then when I died, yeah. I went, oh, okay, I guess I'm dead. That's the game over for me. And it turns out she died last. But she was right. so in the zone, that flow we were talking about before, she didn't realize. But like right. that's that's in, like these stories are like so incredible to just listen to. Another story that was a part of this episode, which uh, I got to throw the finger up at the sky, okay, and do the Wakanda forever, okay, because – Interchangeable cartridges was introduced into gaming for home mm-hmm. consoles. Changed the game forever. Uh, a game of, of, well, I guess at this point it's kind of outdated. I mean, we still have discs to this day, but interchangeable cartridges really changed the game at the time. And folks, you can thank the black community for that one as well. The culture, Jerry Lawson built the very first arcade game in his garage, Channel F, that first console mm. with the cartridges. So uh, you can think hip-hop, uh, Peanuts, uh, let me see, what else? Cotton, uh, for better or for worse, I guess you can throw cotton in there. And uh, interchangeable cartridges is on the list. Uh, vibranium on the list, I guess you can put in there. Uh, you, can, you can think the, the, the culture. And even though we lost Jerry Lawson in 2011, I thought it was in great taste, and I thought it was a good look for the – People who put this documentary to have his kids, the grandson in there, uh, doing the family mm-hmm. photos and the pictures, because they would, they were essentially telling a story that was lost. Because once Atari got a hold of the idea of cartridges, like you said, I might not have come up with the idea, but I'm equally smart. So once I can see it, I go, okay, I can mm-hmm. see how you did it. Okay, now here's how we're going to do it. Don't you tell me it's possible? I'm running yeah. off. So the, Atari, Atari didn't necessarily take the rug out from. Under Jerry Lawson in the Channel F console, all they really did was just overproduced. They had a much right. bigger budget. They were able to put out far more games. Uh, they had more minds at the desk, so they probably put out better quality cartridges. It just didn't work out. But Jerry Lawson gets credit for being uh, the first it's a guy. Giant relay race, man. That's all this is. It's yeah. just a giant relay race. Absolutely. And we need a. We meet a. This is the the last part of our episode one discussion here, but we meet another kind Jewish fellow by the name of Howard Scott Warshaw. Now, he gets credit for being an awesome game developer, 
uh, in the early days, like you said, back when these people were coding in their heads and pencils and paper right. and E and, and double F and all this stuff and stuff, he developed what he calls, and many people have called over the years, the absolute the worst, worst game, video of, game all of all time. time. Now, and I know because I've played it, and God, I've never wanted to punch something more <laughs> in my entire life. That was going to be my first question if you had ever played it. I have also played I it. Played not it. a fan. I have played it. I don't know why I've played it. I don't like <laughs> the movie. I don't even remember seeing the movie, but for whatever reason, it was in front of me. I, You know what? I, someone had it as a cartridge. And I don't think they had many games, and I had played the other ones already, you were, you so I threw forced. that one in. It didn't last long. Did not last long. You almost set fire to the whole house. Uh, no, God. I, I, I. He, here's the thing, though. Like, he, he, he. You know, he wears it almost like a badge of honor at this point. I'm sure he because wasn't. it is. It's revolutionary what he did. To yeah, be of all with the you. shitty games that have come since. It's still looked at and regarded as like, this game is bad, but it's not ET bad. Because like, <laughs> there's been some pretty frustrating That's games out there. I'm still trying to figure out how to beat RoboCop to this day. I can't, I can't get through that <laughs> fucking stage. I get it. Up goes through a door, down goes down a ladder, but I can't. I keep crouching like an asshole. I can't go on the fucking ladder. Anyway, <laughs> uh, RoboCop, uh, notwithstanding, uh, it, it is you know ET is in kind of video game lore i don't know if you saw there's another documentary that was released i believe by hbo that's solely on this game and like there's like an urban legend that all the et cartridges they couldn't sell got like buried somewhere so like people were like searching for the long lost storage facility of et not even like a facility gotta say that wrong because people legitimately think it's underground somewhere like they were in like arizona or some shit digging up earth and there were people like driving in. Is this it? Are we gonna see the ET cartridges? I have this. I gotta send you at least the trailer so you can t- so you can see what I'm talking about. But it was like a really in depth fucking conversation. And this guy that we met, Howard, they involved him in the documentary first to get background on it. But then when they actually thought they had found it, they like called him up and he drove. He's like, really? I'd love to see it. And he drove, and it ended up not working out the way that they wanted to. It was hilarious. But hearing this guy, like, tell the story about, they were like, yeah, I did and I did Raiders of the Lost Ark in, like, nine months. And they're like, yeah, could you do a game in, like, six weeks? He's like, yeah, sure, fuck it. And basically hinting that he was on cocaine when he said it. Yeah. He was like, yeah, no, I don't know what I was on, which is wink, wink. But I was, like, overflowing yeah. with it. Wink, wink. He looked like a fucking powdered donut. He was, he... He had baby powder all over him, if you know what I mean. That nose candy, baby. He was he was on it. Yeah, that's psycho. Making I couldn't imagine pumping out a game that fast. The like, game's taking years of development, especially on now. paper, bro. Yeah. Like he's had a fucking Apple computer just punching keyboard strokes. Like that's how he, they're programming from scratch. They're not even they're not even copying, bro. They didn't have copy and paste. They didn't have copy and paste, bro. He had keyboard shortcuts. They didn't have copy and paste, bro. I had an Apple. I don't ever recall a copy and paste function for an Apple II. I don't recall this. You know how many times I've played Oregon Trail? I don't ever fucking remember. You know how many floppies I've accidentally chewed into, just bored out of my fucking mind? I have never, ever in my life. That came way later. That's an OS thing. That is not. These Apple computers did not have a fucking keystrokes shortcuts. Yes, for accessing things, they did not have a copy and paste function. E E F F E, nigga, forty-seven times. That's that's the strokes. That's not 
<laughs> There's no Control V in 1988. They did not have that. The sheer, again, man, the sheer determination and pure enjoyment out of every one of these stories. That none of these stories was. I want to do this, and this is how I'm going to do it. It's no, I'm doing this. An opportunity arose. I did this, and now I am a legend. Now I am legend, which takes us to episode two. Speaking of legend, I entitled, I forgot what the actual episode was called, but I entitled it The Nintendo Era. Now we're getting Mm. into the real deal, the nitty gritty here. And the first thing they talk about is the first thing that I wanted to hear about. Because when I think Nintendo games, and we played a lot of Nintendo games. Come on. You just said at the beginning of this, you don't have any memories of me playing video games. How much Nintendo did we fucking play? Come on. We played, I don't remember. You really don't remember. I really don't. Years I, rem- I remember playing, playing myself. And the only thing I truly remember playing, and I know I play in a lot of video games, is just pure memory is... Street Fighter. I know I've played a ton of other games. I know I did. Uh But just trying to remember me as a kid with a controller in my hand, I can only remember Street Fighter the most. Okay. Some Maddens, but that's it. And this is why my memory of you playing video games. You're blocking out literally several years. Several years. I'm not blocking out. They're just not there. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so so let's go ahead and let's talk about it just for a second. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff in this documentary, folks, that's really, really cool. But the first guy they introduce us to is Hirokuza Tanaka. Now, he is the creator of both the sound effects and some of the sounds that were played, that were used in a lot of the earlier NES games. He, in particular, did a lot of the subtle changes in sounds for Donkey Kong. Right, so he told all these stories about dubstep, like some of his things, like music. Obviously, they didn't have dubstep in particular in the '80s, but that vibe of music, right? Japan was kind of on the forefront of sounds when it came to music like that. And he was talking about different things about the footsteps and the different sound effects. Now, I, I, it's really interesting to hear about what the stuff that he did, but he did not talk specifically about the stuff that I really wanted to hear about because when I think Nintendo. I think the 8-bit fucking music. It just Is it me or it just seems yeah. like a lot of these games iconic. had so many fucking iconic fucking songs. And you were talking before uh, you opened with this when you said Street Fighter, right? Mm-hmm. Eight maps, right? Eight different characters. These fucking, bro, what do you think of when you hear this? Bro. <laughs> Bro. The classic. Hold on. Classic. Come on. These are classic tracks. By the way, Guy Who Goes With Everything, folks. Okay? Guy Who Goes With Everything. Sonic Boom. YouTube it. It goes with everything, right? Every stage had its own song. It's just this. Even this. Hold on. Let me go back to the... That's just the fucking Capcom sound. Oh, my God, man. Life was so much. Yo, bring me back. I want to go back, dude. (laughs) I want to go back. I want to go back. That's just the fucking uh, Capcom sound, for Christ's sake. Like, there's so many different. Okay, well, hold on. Uh, Fucking NES, right? 
Come on. Come on. Oh, wait, I'm waiting for that beat to drop. Oh! Shit is hot! <laughs> Fire. There's flames coming out. Coming what? out your speakers what? You don't right like now. fantasy games? You, you and don't, don't, don't even get me started on the whole Mega Man series. Wow. Like, the entire Mega Man series has some bangers on there when it comes That was that's that's just the opening title, guys. Oh my god. That's just the man. opening fucking title. I, I think you can do an entire documentary just like I'm this, just, just solely just based the on the music. On the music. Capcom Capcom themselves has two episodes. Now you of don't remember playing a lot of games with me. Does this song right here bring any memories at all whatsoever? Oh, isn't that RBI baseball? Yes, it is. How could you not remember playing hours and hours of RBI baseball with me? How could you not? It's coming back to me. I remember the Tecmo Bowl. Tecmo Bowl was Tech another Mobile one. Was another one. Mike Tyson's punch out. We used to watch Wayne, our stepfather at the time. Tyson. He punch used to out. play a lot of the Mike Tyson. Obviously, you got into the Mega Man, the Street Fighter thing we all kind of got into. Zelda was kind of your thing. The Sleeper. We've mentioned this before. How could we not bring it up here for the video game episode? All I gotta do is play the music, folks, and I bet you he will remember this. If y'all don't remember this game, total underappreciated classic. I think I know what you're about to play. There it is. That's not even the. That, that's not the. That's not. That's not the main song though. The main no, that's one the, is the. That's, that's the title screen. That's the title screen. That's the title screen. Yeah, it's also the oh. song for the first level, right? I but, must. I must hmm. be thinking about like. So second this level game is called Zexus. It's X E X Y Z, and it is a banger. How did you pronounce it? Is I always pronounced it Zexus. Okay. This game is great. Soundtrack underrated. on point, underrated. Anyone underrated. I've ever talked to does not know that game at no, all. Anyone I've ever spoken to, as I don't does, even know how we got it. <laughs> I just remember having it. But a oh, little robot guy who shoots out triangles, and it's just the most amazing freaking game in the absolute. And these games are so difficult for me. I'm a kid, so, yeah. but I just love it. Everything about it is awesome. But my favorite thing to do would to be watch to like watch our uncle play it, like yes. because he was actually good at it, and he would get far into the game. So the further that I saw into the game was just from watching him play it, but when I would play it, I'd barely get past the first, second level because this shit is hard. Yeah, absolutely hard. We got into it, though. We got into it. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. We got into it. It's classic, but we I really wish they had gotten more in-depth on that, maybe for licensing reasons that they couldn't. I'm not entirely sure. But, uh, yeah, but I wanted to bring that up. I definitely wanted to flash that back for us because that's a big, big deal. Mm. Uh, the next person we meet is Gail Tilden who I did not know anything about up until this documentary, but I do know her work because I was a huge fan of Nintendo Power. 
that magazine subscription service oh, yeah, that, was that Nintendo her. had. I loved hearing the story of how they put that together, how they made it look the way that they did. I love the fact because they were they called her Dragon Lady because she was a bit of a ball buster. You know what, Miss Tilden, if you're listening, thank God for you. You did God's work because everything she touched was fucking gold. If you think women have problems now in the business place, imagine then she probably had and to she be. Gave that way for fucks, to she gave zero fucks, bro. She gave zero fucks. She was the VP for brand management. Are you kidding me? All these dudes is in there like, we really gotta listen to the Yes, you do. Uh the first Nintendo version came out in Japan as Famicom system. And it was a completely different looking system. That was a funky looking thing to look at. I see why she changed the design. Uh, and then mm-hmm. they got the American version. That was pretty cool. I asked myself a question. This was not a part of the documentary, but I wanted to ask myself a question. Because one of the things that they really boasted about was the fucking gun for Nintendo. Now, when I saw this, my wife was like, I got the gun, but I had to buy the gun separately. We did not. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember. So You must not because you don't remember a whole lot from that time period. But when we first got our very first Nintendo, it, the gun came with the box. We mm-hmm. had the gun. It was the deluxe deal. It came with Duck Hunt. It came with, exactly, Super Mario and fucking Duck Hunt. And I was one of those kids. I'm sorry. I don't care. I put the gun right to the screen. Nigga, I want to score high. So I, this is what That's happened. People came to my house and saw the high scoring. And I just looked at them like, yeah, go ahead and do your best. I know you're not going to do it. Uh, but I was curious. I asked myself a question. Because I used the gun for Dunk Hunt, everyone did. I don't recall ever seeing a game for NES where I could use the gun other than Duck Hunt. I don't remember. A single game. <laughs> Do you recall no, think, any game? I think it was mainly for that, but they did come out with the other peripheral for it, that the power glove that was supposed to be... Yeah. Yes, the power glove was also a very ingenious idea. It it looked mm-hmm. very clunky. I don't know if you've ever used the power glove. I don't recall if you no, ever did. I've never, I've never had my hand in one of those bad boys. And it was fantastic up until I almost broke it, and then I was very scared because it wasn't mine <laughs> and it wasn't my house. <laughs> and of course, because it's me, I get dangerously close to breaking everything that I'm around. So that, mm-hmm. that was not a good combination. But, yes, the Power Glove, definitely huge. Uh, not mentioned really much in this documentary series, but I guess that's why. Oh, no. I they don't int- want to mention that catastrophe. <laughs> I was introduced to someone else, though, Jeff Hansen. I was introduced to Jeff Hansen. Now, for those of you who do not know that name, Jeff Hansen boasts quite proudly, and as well he should, is the 1990 – excuse me? Yes, 1990 – Power Fest Tour Nintendo World Champion. Okay? He's that title. I had to put it, I wrote it down as a note. He had an actual belt. It had a Mario logo on it and a trophy. They gave him a belt and a trophy. He must have been on that stage looking like one of those Japanese wrestlers that just won the G1. So it was like all the trophies (laughs) and pyro and shit. Uh, Wait a second. I may have my shit mixed up now that I'm looking at my... No, no, no. It's Jeff Hansen. All right. Okay, I'm thinking of Sean Bloom. Okay, we'll get to him next. But yes, Jeff Hansen won the tournament. Now, here's a very, very little-known fact. Little-known fact. I, AJ Orsini, 
was in this tournament. Now, hold on a second. Hold your questions. Wait a minute. What? Hold your questions. Hold your questions. I also did not remember this until I saw it. And there was something within the, the video that made me, it sparked that memory. Now, 1990, I was about seven years old, which is probably why, it was 30 years ago, it's probably why this is, this is not something that sticks in my head. But when Jeff Hansen was discussing how the tournament was run, I recall. So, mm-hmm. they, before the actual tournament started, they wanted to get the best players. So what Nintendo did was they put a bunch of feelers out. Pretty much every state had an area where they would send Nintendo consoles out for random everyday kids or whatever to play. Right, preliminaries. You play there, and then they send you to the real You get noticed, blah, blah, blah. You get entered into the tournament, right? Okay, so we lived at the time in Connecticut. This is where we lived at the time. And uh, I... This was during a time period of 1990. Uh, you probably don't remember. You were like two. So I'm pretty sure you don't remember. But this was around the time period where we were having weekend kind of custody with our dad. He lived in Windsor, Connecticut. And one of mm-hmm. the things that he had in that house to keep me busy and you was a fucking Nintendo. So we played Mario all the time, blah, blah, blah. I loved it, obviously. I'm a kid in the 90s. It's Nintendo. Fuck it. On the television commercial... They mention, and I remember this, uh, a Nintendo uh, outlet, I believe was the verbiage they used. I believe it was like an outlet deal where you can come and you just, just, it wasn't even promoted as a tournament deal. It was like, just come and play video games. It's a fun time. Everyone's doing it. So I'm seven and I'm like, fuck it. I want to play Mario too. So there were, so my dad, I had dad look it up and it turns out not far from Windsor in a place called the Enfield Mall. So if you're listening to this from Connecticut, you probably know what I'm talking about. Enfield, Connecticut, not far from Windsor. They had a big mall at the time. I don't know what the hell is there now. But at the time, they had this big mall, and that's where Nintendo was going to be. So I went. <laughs> and I remember wow. very distinctly, um, we had to sign a form. We had to pay a couple bucks. The whole idea was is all, I, all he's going to do, he's going to play. That's it. Just play for as long as you're going to play. If you beat it, I mean, obviously, that's the end of for you, right? But just keep playing until you die all your all your lives or whatever, whatever. And then at the end, I guess they had to decide who's going to go on to the real tournament or however that works. I wouldn't know because I didn't get that fucking far. But <laughs> I, I was there, and I played the game, and I was involved. And I remember, and I told Steph this when, when we were watching it, I remember one of the biggest reasons I wanted to play in the tournament. I wanted the jacket. There was a jacket they promoted that had the Nintendo logo, had all like the Mario <clears throat> characters on it, and on the back, no lie, because you see it in the documentary, and now people know that I'm not crazy. It says on the back, world champion. And I was like, hell yeah, I want that. Hell yeah, I need that I jacket. don't give a shit about no other prize. I want the fucking jacket. So I remember that was a big reason why I wanted to do this tournament. So, I, I obviously, once I lost, I paid zero attention to the fucking tournament following that day. It was a good day. It was a fun thing to do. Whatever. I didn't know that a corny little white boy from California named Jeff Hansen was going to walk <laughs> away with the whole damn kebab. Little, could have had a belt. Little did I know, 30 years later, I would meet Jeff Hansen on my internets. And here mm. he is. Do What's he doing, Dave? Wearing his fucking jacket 
I, I was beyond tight, bro. I almost threw my phone. I was so fucking mad. I said, let me get this straight. I sweated and I struggled all that time to play this game, and this corny bastard walked away with the jacket. I bet you he didn't get no pussy from the jacket. See, listen, the jacket. Oh, oh, you watch your god. You watch your mouth, okay? Not only did he have the jacket, but he had a belt and a trophy. Yeah, Don't tell you me know right what? He wasn't slaying. I didn't. I didn't know about the belt. I'll probably. I probably would have been more excited about the belt had I known it existed. All I knew at the time was the jacket. <laughs> and now that I know he had a trophy, a jacket, and a fucking belt, now I'm extra fucking tight. I'm like, what? Fucking all the poon. All the poon poon. He had poon that layaway because he was so little. He said, you, you keep that <laughs> pussy good for me for another three or four years, and I'll come in and I'll handle that like a world champ. Like a world champ. I'll wear the belt. <laughs> We meet Sean Bloom. Uh, he had a very interesting Ooh. summer job. Him and his mother. Is Sean Bloom, I can't remember. Is that the actual guy that was there or the guy who applied? He is the guy who uh, who was actually there. He applied and everything. He was a game play counselor. Oh, okay. I'm getting I'm getting the same person confused with himself. So in the documentary, they showed the guy with the with the mullet and stuff. That yeah. was him, the mullet guy. He was playing himself, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy's yeah. freaking awesome. <laughs> that guy was tons awesome. Of, tons of personality, okay? This guy was uh, – he must have been really game for this because he, he, they got really creative with him. Him and the other guy later on in the series who, like, played Dungeons & Dragons with himself. Anyway. That Sean, guy is a legend too. Yeah. Oh, we'll get to that fucking guy. Sean Bloom here. Uh, he was a gameplay counselor with the ultimate three-ring binder. I loved his three-ring binder, and that's not a sexual innuendo. I literally loved his three-ring binder. He had everything, bro. I didn't know about gameplay counselors. Maybe because of the age. I didn't know either. I was young. I didn't, I didn't know, know that either, existed. and I don't know if it's because of the age I am now. But most people who don't understand someone's love for video games or a person who plays video games, but they would think that'd be the most amazing. That sounds like a terrible job. Yeah. No. I like, mean, once they said terrible. you can take up to 50 to 100 calls a day, I am set. I'm, I'm good. done. Because he's like, oh, I get to play video games for a living. And I'm like, no, you're not. Because you're, no. you're walking these people through steps. You could be on the same stage for like an hour. You're not playing anything, bro. You're just like, and he said it himself. Well, oh, I'm buying an area with gray bricks. I'm like, this whole binder has gray. What the fuck are you talking about? Can you <laughs> fucking imagine? Just and you're talking to kids, by the way. Mostly kids, yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, I want to. That sounds like a terrible job. Sounds horrific. horrific. And people who don't, who just know that you play like. Anything that at all ever has anything to do with the words video and game, I got thrown in front of me by mom. Like, hey, you would love this. No, this is terrible. <laughs> Just because it's a video game doesn't mean I want to no. do it. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Oh, my God. I did not know also, as we continue on here, uh, Donkey Kong, the creators of Donkey Kong, were sued. Uh, obviously, the Kong deal. It was mm -hmm. awfully close to the movie companies that created King Kong. But our man, John Kirby. The legend. The legend came in and uh, squashed that shit quick. And uh, Ladies and gentlemen, if there is a human being 
at all in this world that you will thank for the things that you get to enjoy today, it's that man right oh, there. Yeah. If they would have won that suit, fucking Nintendo would have been cr- fucking done. Video games itself might be way different today if that one man did not win that lawsuit. That's insane. We also got a game dedicated to him due to his whim. So, ladies and gentlemen, the inspiration to Kirby's adventure, Mr. John Kirby. <laughs> if you and it's look based at, on his personality. Yep, just swaddle niggas up. That's it. He just That's takes it. you out. He's a monster of a lawyer. Monster. Took on the company, didn't even sweat at all. He's just like, oh, y'all, y'all full of shit. <laughs> Basically, that was his whole, that was his whole plan. So, episode two, the Nintendo era, very cool stuff, very cool stuff. We get into episode three, and baby, I gotta tell you, this has you written all over it, motherfucker. Uh, episode three, we start, oh yes, we start getting into a different realm now. Uh, we mm. talked to you guys already. Episode one, you can kind of see they break down how these things were made. Episode two with Nintendo, you kind of see how things advance. Episode three, they break video games wide the fuck open. I mean, this is Pandora's box. Uh, This is the genre that immediately made me think of you. Obviously, we're we're talking. I I, you know what? I'm not even going to try to showcase my lack of intelligence on this RPG is the one that I know. I know there's MMO. I know there's all these different. Can you break that down for me? For someone who like me who doesn't really dabble too much, what are all these different? We got role playing games. What is MMO? Well, that's just an an add on to it, right? It will okay. MMOs can be anything really technically, but the MMO just stands for massive multiplayer online. Okay, all right. So, so there you go. technically, like a Call of Duty's like an MMO because it's just an online, but. For it's mainly used for RPG genre. Is it strictly online? Because I know Call of Duty has like a story mode too, doesn't it? Well, again, you could say massive multiplayer, but that wouldn't really necessarily work without the online, unless you have something along the lines of like a large community of D and D players that gather in a certain area. That that would technically be considered mass, massive multiplayer, but it wouldn't be in like a, a more in person thing. So usually, it's strictly down to. For RPGs and the massive online stuff like Final Fantasies and the in the world of Warcraft and stuff of the world. Okay, so with this episode, we started off we we met Roberta and Ken Williams, the creators of uh, Colossal Cave, which is basically an instructional based game. You know, it's it's a computer in front of you. You get a set of directions. It's text. It's back and forth. It's role playing, right? To a degree, it's basically what this was. It was devising a strategy. It's a very time-consuming, just role-playing game that you, you kind of have some fun with. And then we meet, as my brother referred to earlier, as a legend. We meet legend. God incarnate, uh, Richard Garriott, who apparently has had more jobs than anyone else on the planet. And for the record, folks, none of them were low-level jobs. He's, he's played multiple different versions of God. Over and over and over again. <laughs> if you could improve, he's the Ultron. He always has a better form. It, it never stays the same, but it's always a better form. This fucking guy, 
right here. I mean, what was your impression of this fucking guy? He made me okay. If there is one regret that I have in my gaming history, and one that I just will, I just I can't. I I don't know anyone. I know someone, but it's just one of those things that I just I don't think I'll ever get the chance to do because it takes a very particular type of people to do it. There's one regret I've had is not being able or not knowing anyone to be exposed to Dungeons and Dragons because that is just the most intriguing thing to me. I just found recently and I got to look it up or I would say it, but there are some like insanely intricate Dungeons and Dragons like worlds out there right now that go on living for like the past 10 years that have every character handcrafted by the dungeon master and if you do one thing over here it'll send another team into another like it's just so ridiculous but all of that pretty much spawned from like this guy's era and his genius and the people around him with Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, man. That that stuff is just so much fun, and it's all in your head. Mm-hmm. And he's he comes up because, like I said, he's had so many different jobs. He's been his hands have been in so many different things. The reason he comes up in this documentary is because he took a lot of what Roberta and Ken did, as far mm-hmm. as the role playing, as far as the instructional based, uh, and he took it once again. This is going to be a common theme throughout this. To the next level. This guy was able to include different graphics. Uh, Mystery House is one of the games that he created that I actually got a chance to play. It was on floppy disk. The only reason I had a chance to play it is the school that I was going to at the time had it. That was it. Mm-hmm. I never owned it. And I didn't even know it was called Mystery House until I saw this. All I know is when they fired up the game, I was like, oh shit, I've played that. Right. I just didn't know what it was called because again, thirty years, bro. Like this is. If I'm game. not mistaken, he also created Ultima. Ultima, right? That was one of his it's biggest. That big was one, one of his biggest successes. Like, obviously, the big uh, one. Ultima, Ultima, role playing game on Ultima, on the PC. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, and if I am incorrect, then it dates past even further my own knowledge. But if I'm not mistaken, one of the first real true mmos was ultima online ultima 4 that was the one that he mentioned because it was the first time uh he got into a whole spiel i won't break it down but he wanted the game to reflect real life consequences yes so it had attributes you had to replenish your supplies you had to heal up you had to uh, get your experience up you had to rest (laughs) <laughs> it was all strategy yeah. based. There were real life applications. If you did something that was morally and ethically wrong in the game, it affected your character the same way that it would in real life. And, mm-hmm. and it was uh, pretty much like how you see games today. This is where it all went down. This is where it all started. Uh, they compared it a lot to a game like Skyrim, where it was like you just kind of had to just you had to play the yep. game straight up. You can play it roguelike. You can play it. You can play it baseline. You can play it roguelike. You can play the peacekeeper. You can play the aggressor. You can play a robber. And all of these things affect you in some negative or positive way. And it's just nuts that it just stemmed from that guy's brain. Just seeing him was just nuts. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to let this shit slide, Netflix. You guys did something that fucked me up, but I'm not going to let you fucking get away with it. Because you took someone that I respect and you drug his name in the mud. Okay? 
Now I'm going to expand about what I'm talking about here. In the course of discussing what Dungeons and Dragons is, uh-huh. they went through the process of how parents and how adults felt about it at the time. It was uh, seen as a gateway to to cult and satanic yeah. materials. I actually kind of remember that. It was a little bit of a thing. I remember that too. It was a big thing, yeah. But what I did not remember, or maybe I blocked it out on purpose, or maybe I never knew. I don't know. But they hit me with two things. A movie called Mazes and Monsters mm-hmm. and the fact that it was starring Tom fucking Hanks. <laughs> Now, they played a 10-second clip that I promise you Tom Hanks does not want people to see. Okay, Probably not. Probably not. Because it's a terrible-looking scene. It makes him look bad. Okay, He's here acting his ass off, but you're not putting it in context. So, Greatest actor of all time. I'm going to help Tom Hanks out. I'm going to put this scene in context because mm-hmm. I have the scene right here. I need you people out there in the squad of O to let the record show that Tom Hank wasn't just acting a fool in this movie. He was giving you professional acting with logic and real-world arguments. Take a listen. Robbie! 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 Tom Hanks is Robbie. What are you doing? Going to join the Great Hall. You can't. It's a trap. I have spells. I'm going to fly. <laughs> I don't have enough points. I am the maze controller. Maze co- Maze controller? Yes. And I have absolute authority in this game. Absolute. Game? Game. 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 Acting. Watch his emotion. You hear it? You hear him declining? Look at his face, the face. TJ, what am I doing here? See, that came from the heart. <laughs> why is he why is he there, JJ? Jade, why can't I remember? He can't remember, guys. Hug him. Listen to that music. You see that? It's powerful. Look at they're all hugging now. Now, for the record, I'm going to pause it because that's, that's pretty much the end of the scene. But for the record, I want you guys to know he acted his ass off. He was trying to pull this shit off. But I it's also like want to point out... This movie trash, but I'll make it work. I want to point out one other thing. His logic was flawless, folks. Now, what you can't see, because this is audio, he's, he's at, the, he's at a, a railing at the edge of a building, right? Deep fall. And the guy goes, hey, what are you doing? You can't do that. And he goes, it's okay, guys. I've got spells. I'll just fly. He's got this figured out, guys. I don't know why JJ's up his ass. He's got spells. He's thought this through. There was time put into this. And even then, when he hits a, You see, and, and then the other guy over here throwing his dick around. I am the dungeon master. I have a He's, total He's the dungeon master. That's right. You got him right. You respect. Respect the hat. Yep, you respect the dungeon master. (laughs) I wanted to point that out because that's hilarious, first of all. That whole, this whole, the fact that this shit exists is fantastic. Gay Blade. Did you even know that this shit existed? (laughs) Of course not. How the hell would I have gotten my hands on Gay Blade? Well, that's the funny thing about it. Not many people have. It was a huge success when it came out. 
the guy who created it, Ryan Best, he doesn't have his hand on Gay Blade anymore. I was stunned by this. Did you hear this story? Yeah, no, I heard it. He lost the disc, his source code, everything in a move. What the fuck? That's freaking How hilarious. do you do this? Uh, I don't, that, that game, it was essentially, it would have been like the first Final Fantasy. The I, way he had it mapped out. I wrote it out in the notes. It's the it's a video game version of a disc track. He took everybody who hates homopho- who hates homosexuals in the game, and the whole point of the game was to beat the shit out of them, including the boss. <laughs> the boss was uh, Senator Pat Buchanan, the leader of the yeah. anti-gay movement. And the- I love I love the story that they said the guy like drove all the way over there. Oh yeah, the so- fake story like to, to beat his ass. It, it became gay. It became gay with their two dogs, Coco and Chanel. Coco and Chanel. Yeah. I thought to myself, and I, and it's funny because they his name Fabio or something something weird like that. Yeah, they left a little caveat, like because he ends the whole thing by saying, you know, he really wishes he can get his hands back on it, and then they gave like this little tease, like maybe they would have found it, but they never really told us. It's yeah. Kinda... One one last person. Uh, this is the, the end of the episode we'll talk about, and then we'll move on. But we have to mention him because his name is Yoshitaka Amano. Oh, Mr. He is the Amano. anime manga artist over in Japan who was approached by a company named Squaresoft to come in and do some designs for a little game Squaresoft. called Final Fantasy. Now, there it is. Earlier, when this podcast began, we had stated that there was a point where I fell off and a point where you took off. This was that point. Not Final Fantasy 1, Final Fantasy 7. Yes. Final Fantasy 7 was brought into the home. Our stepfather at the time, Wayne, took me out. We went out doing a bunch of shit. Uh, I forgot the name of the video store. It obviously wasn't GameStop, but it was like a GameStop-like store. That was just video games. We stumbled upon this. And to be honest with you, and I didn't hear much about it, because they didn't really go too in-depth on Final Fantasy, per se. But I don't know. Maybe you can speak on this better than me. What I don't know if this was part of the promotional point or like how it helped with sales. What always intrigued me about that game, it caught my eye, was the size of the case, the three-disc setup. Where I was like, what the hell is this? This looks like a block. It's like so big. I want this. I don't know what it is, but it just seems like there's a whole lot of game in here. Because it's like mm-hmm. three discs. I was like, I want oh, there this. It is. And w- I brought it home. We both played for a while. I slipped off, and you became a legend after that. So what happened? What, what was so it about Fantasy? That, how that happened in my perspective. Right. I was playing Resident Evil a lot. Yes, and we were I got to the that. point. I got to the point where I got stuck again. So I was gonna wait for our stepdad to get home to keep playing it because I mainly played it with him. Because we, I would either watch him play or he, I would play, and he would watch me. We try to figure out the puzzles. The same thing with Tomb Raider. We'd figure out the puzzles together. It was just puzzles games we liked to play. And he wasn't there. Whatever. I was there by myself, and I'm looking around for the. I think I was looking for like. Crash Bandicoot or something. I was looking for something to play other than that. 
And I came across this disc, this case that's fat as hell and had multiple discs in it. I'm like, yeah. what, the f- what is this? Like, where did this come from? I didn't even see that. The- I didn't rent this game because that was back when like renting games were is what you did. That might have been like, where we got, got games was to rent them. So I was like, I didn't rent this. I don't know what the heck this is. So I popped it open. I put it in. It looked cool. So like, yeah, this is neat. And I'm sitting there watching this movie in the beginning. I'm like. Can I get to the game? Like, this is taking forever. Like, who is this chick with the flowers? Nobody cares. <laughs> so next thing you know, this purple dude with this weird-looking triangular blonde hair does a cartwheel off a train, and then some more dialogue. I'm like, Jesus, is this just like a storybook? Like, am I going to play a game, or I'm just reading and watching movies all the time? So I run up, begin to fight. There's a buttons, and there's a finger. It's like, doot, doot, doot. You pick something, you, you you hit the monster, and he died instantly in the beginning. So I'm like, okay, that's weird. That's the fight. It took two seconds. So I go a little bit longer. I think I eventually end up to the part where you fight the first boss, which is the big red uh, scorpion-looking dude. Okay. And I got demolished because that was like one of the first fights that wasn't insta-kill. And you actually had to start implementing a little bit of strategy. Like it was the whole point of the game teaching you the game in hindsight. But to me, I just kept dying. And I didn't know what the hell was going on. Got absolutely pissed off. Took it out. Did Never looked at it again. One day, you just so happened to open it up and start playing it. And I saw you do it. And I'm sitting there like, yeah, this game is trash. Like, I'm thinking to myself, this is the worst game ever. And I see you beat the guy. And I'm like, oh. And then you get a little bit further. And then eventually you just stop. And then it is that was what it was. About a month or two goes by. The game is still there. I pop it in. For whatever reason, who knows, maybe a month or two is what I needed for my brain to grow a little bit more. I have no clue. (laughs) But it all clicked. It all made sense. And I have not stopped playing Final Fantasy games since that moment. I've played them all after it. I've gone back and played some of the old ones. And a very huge chunk of my life is etched out for the MMO version of Final Fantasy, which is Final Fantasy Eleven. That's the game you were bringing my house with the VCR, right? When you would just leave it running. That's the game I played when, uh, yeah, with the TV traveling, with TVs and stuff everywhere I went. And the cool thing is that guy, um, Yoshitaka Amano. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the strongest things in the MMO were legendary weapons. They're like really hard to get, takes forever. Literally, if you grind every day, you're looking at a minimum of uh, eight months to a year to get it. Minimum. Like that's without missing any time. So they're very hard weapons to get. And one of the better weapons in the game was actually named after him, which I thought was pretty cool. That is really cool. See, and you've been yeah. playing it ever fucking since. I've been and playing was, Final Fantasy on, ever since. I've been on and off gaming ever since. Obviously, actually, my gaming has picked up quite a bit since my son, because now I'm, you know, I'm not to brag, but I'm pretty much, you know, the Lego game master at this point. I've played oh every Lego God, game that. that there is to play to the point where, like, because I, because he doesn't like playing by himself, so I play with him. My wife plays with him, and uh, so it's, it's getting to a point where, like, I'm picky about Lego games. Like, no, no, I don't want to play World. That's that's stupid. Let's let's play Ninjago because I don't want to. I just, we haven't gotten all of the um, the 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 bags from Ninjago. This is bullshit. So like, we started. <laughs> we should have seen when we first moved into this apartment. The first game, 
um, that we played in this apartment. We didn't even have cable in our house for like the first week, so all we did was rock uh, Incredibles on the Xbox for like a week. Homie, me, can you – actually, you can because you've seen it. But me and a four-year-old, because he wasn't even five yet, sitting on this couch arguing about game strategy. Like, you need to use Frozone to freeze this so I can go across the bridge. No, you have to do this. <sighs> Listen to me for a second. You have to freeze <laughs> this. Adult. You are the kid. Yes, you have to freeze this so that I can use uh, Elastigirl's arms to do this. It's like, no, but God damn it. No, listen to me. So, yeah, that's pretty much my life with games now. But we move on to episode four because before I was yelling at him, at him I was yelling at you. And mm. episode four is where a lot of that yelling took fucking place. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of yelling going on in this era because this is the Sega era. Oh, my so, God. So Sega, uh, 16-bit home console, obviously. The Nintendo bragged and, and ran the market, ruled the roost, so to speak, with their little 8-bit machine. Sega pulled out its 16-incher uh, and said, no, nah, we're going to fuck the market on this. And mm-hmm. they brought in, quite frankly, the most... Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. This dude was creepy. I got a lot of weird, creepy... He had the sweater over his shoulder. I was like, he's got the painting. I showed you the picture of the painting. He, this dude was a creepy dude. And it, and that he made was, Barbie dolls, dude. He did. He made Barbie dolls, but that does not mean that you need to have them in the grip in which you have them in oh, this of painting. Course. Why you made them. Oh, my God. Well, there's no other reason, <laughs> right? Like, you know how some dudes have jerked off to Barbie dolls? Like, he was the first. Like, the, Is it jerk-offable? That's what I want to know before we process this. Um, <laughs> we're talking about Tom Kalinske. He's the former Mattel director. He was the one that came up with a lot of toys. Huge success. Gets picked up by Sega. Like, they went after him. Like, he was on vacation, and they went to the island he was on. And was like, you need to make this shit. And so he had a battle plan, bro. I love the battle plan. Because it was so simplistic. It just, it literally, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I don't know if you could say simplistic. The first one is hilarious because of how simplistic it is. Yeah. Simplistic in its detail. The actual execution, obviously, not so much. So, yeah. So, one. Well, there was a reason. Go ahead. For that, the reason why he had it on the board in which he did is because standing in front of a team full of people who don't speak his language. So he had to keep the words as minimum as possible <laughs> for them to even understand what the heck he was saying. Fair enough, but it just looked so... Lower, it's cool for teens, hoping someone in there could translate it. <laughs> so the battle plan was simple, and it was written on the board. He wrote it on a chalkboard, because of course he did. He's from 1950s, so he didn't have a whiteboard accessible. Uh, mm-hmm. For those of you listening who haven't seen it yet, I'm not saying we saw this board back in the 80s. It, in 2020, in his mansion, he pulled out a chalkboard. I don't know where it came from. I don't know where he would have a chalkboard just in the house. But he had a portable, on wheels, old school chalkboard, whatever. And it said, Battle Plan to Defeat Nintendo. We talked earlier about balls. That's ball- That title is balls. I'm surprised Nintendo didn't hear about that chalkboard and was like, where? Battle plan to defeat Nintendo. Kill this man. <laughs> Kill this man. Execute. Five steps. One, lower the price. That's it, man. Two, <laughs> defeat Mario. Like, he's a real <laughs> fucking thing, man. <laughs> defeat him. We must defeat Mario. Three, and I want people to understand how hilarious this is. Three, more sports. Now, 
I did a project for. I think I sent it to you. I did a pro. I did a video for my college class, where we had to do a video introducing ourselves and what we plan on doing with our degrees. And I did like a. It had to be like no more than ninety seconds because it was going on this website that only holds ninety seconds. And as part of the video, I made a collage of clips of me doing random stuff. And I was like, what I plan to do with my degree is, and I was like, sports. And it was like, life skills, reading and social studies. Then I was like, more sports. And then I like did some <laughs> other stuff. And then at the end, I was like, and quite possibly, even more sports. For the record, folks, more sports came from this. Because that shit stuck in my head. Three, more sports. Four, <laughs> cool for teens. Seems pretty basic. Five, make fun of Nintendo. Now, that sounds hilarious. But what made me cry little tears and pause the video is for whatever reason, make fun of Nintendo was in parentheses. I don't know why. Why was that so <laughs> secret? What did you? I did not even notice that. Why would you have? Was the fifth one a secret? Like only certain. <laughs> I know I can just think of the fucking shish emoji on the phone. Yeah. I can imagine him like vocalizing, lower the price, defeat Mario, more sports, cool for teens, make fun of Nintendo. (laughs) Don't let Nintendo know that we're going to make fun of them. We're going to throw the shit out of them. (laughs) Is the parentheses like the stuff in between? Only the people who work in Sega could read the font. Oh my god, I got water in my eyes. That's what what happened to me. I paused and I was like, why is it in parentheses? What is so secretive about the last step? That's why it was five. It's the most important. In parentheses. Oh it's my god, that's hilarious. Make fun of Nintendo. So like you said, the first one was, was very simplistic. All right, He dropped the Sega price from $189 to $149. Right Now you think about this. 80s, 90s, $149 to today's consoles, which is like $1,000? <laughs> how, how, how much did people pay for that PS5? What is it, like five, 600 bucks? Yeah, Jesus yeah about that. Christ. So that was lower the price. Easy peasy lemon squeeze. That was done. Defeat Mario. Now that was a little bit more complicated. Like you said, it sounds simplistic on paper, but how the fuck do you defeat the powerhouse, a character that holds ninety eight percent of the share market share? How do you defeat that? He lost the room when he said lower the price, and yeah. then if they looked past that. And saw defeat Mario. You have to understand that you're in a room full of people who have come to terms with the fact that that guy is a juggernaut. juggernaut. You will can't be beat. You will never beat him. The dude just turned around like in a scene in a movie. Was like, do it. Do what you wish with it. It's only the U.S. market. And it like walks out the door. The way they depict it was just amazing. I also think that they that he lost him with the defeat Mario because he's an American. Mario, even though he's an Italian plumber, was created in Japan. Right. So the Japanese people have more of an attachment to Mario than any other culture on the planet. Right. And they're of an even stronger belief. You can't defeat this mammoth. This is too big of a deal. Right. But hold your horses, folks, because Hirokazu Yashihara came in, mm-hmm. and he had a grand idea. <laughs> he was going to go on vacation. <laughs> as most great ideas because I've had great ideas on vacation I've never been more motivated to do work than when I come back from vacation and uh, he is long story short he's the creator of Sonic the Hedgehog and all the different and if you guys get a chance to see the show I'm not going to go through everything because it, they took a while to get there but that's the answer to his role 
he ended up creating Sonic the Hedgehog. And, uh, you know, my son thought it was hilarious because he's, this is how beautiful games are. This was created late late 80s, early 90s, um, Sonic the Hedgehog. And my son plays Sonic the Hedgehog today on right. his iPad with all these different characters. There's like 30 or 40 characters in the world now. But before, back when we were kids, it was just the one. <laughs> it was just Sonic. He thought it was hilarious because they, they they originally thought maybe a bunny, maybe a panda, and they did the best crowdsourcing you can do when you want ideas. They just asked people, and it came down to the hedgehog, and that's pretty much it. And everyone knows the story of Sonic. We don't have to kill a whole bunch of time on Sonic, but that's how they accomplished too by defeating Mario. Now, in all fairness, they never did defeat Mario. But they did get Sonic to that level where it was competitive, and I think that's kind of the same thing when you really think about it. You know, if you can't I don't know, I was really down. reflecting on this when I was listening to it, and just kind of me as a kid. Like, I think, I think that worked. What he was trying to do worked. I would say worked on me because the price thing didn't affect me too much because obviously I didn't really know too much about that. Right. The Mario thing, out of all things, mom actually played Mario heavy. Like yeah. that was my main introduction to games is when she bought the Nintendo because it had that Mario in it. We got the duck hunt, but she wanted it for the Mario. Right. She actually played Mario. So all I knew was Mario but for whatever reason, I always had a bigger and more attachment to Sonic. And when it came yeah. to more sports game, I love sports. And then when they went into describe the cool, cool for teens, his ideology behind that, that yeah. he wanted to target the teenagers because with the teenagers, their younger brothers are going to want to do what they want to do. First thing I thought of, yeah. Yeah, I was like, dude, that's freaking genius. Like, that when he worked. said that, I was like, that's that leads genius. us to four cool for teens. I was hooked. Yeah, I man, oh, I love Sonic. Not man. just Sonic too, but I mean, dude, that whole—I mean, we had NBA Jam. NBA, we Jam had Earl. so many different games. NHL Toe Jam and Earl. Toe Jam and Earl. NHL '95 <laughs> was one of my favorite sports games of all time, and it was on that system. Uh, and oh, don't get was, me started on uh, the Sega CD. That had so many great games yeah, on there. Yeah, we man. fucking did. I, I wasn't so sure, because the way that they explain it is like, hey, if we get Big Brother to play it, then Little Brother will play it. I don't know if you necessarily played it because I played it. I think you played it because it was in the house. And well, me, cool me and like, specifically, no. I mean, I probably did follow you around a lot as a young kid, but I don't, I don't distinctively remember doing things because you were doing it. Yeah, but I, so I could definitely see that as that, like, actually working. And it, it just being in the house and them wanting to play. If you gave me a choice between Sega and Nintendo, I'd probably take the Sega. I'd have to look at it. I would have to look at it again in detail. But I'm I might I might take the Sega. <laughs> oh shit! What's that, that comic? There was a comic book game oh, on Sega. Uh, fucking. Uh, you know what I'm talking yes, about? Yes, I do. Um, I'm gonna pull it up right now. As a matter of fact, hold on. It was con- something Joe. Yeah, I'm thinking. It's comic Zone. Sega Genesis Comic Zone. That's what's coming up. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, that's Zone. it. That's the guy, the blonde guy. The, I yep, have that that's on it. my Xbox right now. Comic Zone. So funny. Yeah, I remember, dude. This is that was one of those games that just kind of stuck out to me, man. I don't know, man. Sega had so many great games. Oh. Now, step number five, the final step. 
make fun of Nintendo. With the final step. And I got to tell you, uh, I don't remember a lot of the anti-whatever ads, like the, the milk truck and the... I don't remember all that. I do remember Genesis does when Nintendo don't. And the only reason I remember that is because a lot of the kids in my class at the time were making hella jokes about it. They were like, ah, Genesis... It, it, was, it was a war. Uh, in my classroom, Genesis and Nintendo, when they illustrated that the documentary, I was like, that shit is true. Because I was like, all right, that's... <laughs> I was like, all right, yeah, that's definitely going to be an issue in my classroom. They were trying to figure that out. I, I remember some of those. And, of course, I, I must have did a really good job blocking it out. The Sega. Sega! Yeah, Sega! I completely forgotten about that. I was like, oh, fuck. There it is again. 30 years of blockage. All down the oh, fucking man. tubes. Thanks, Netflix. You remember, you remember X-Men 2? Clone Wars for Sega Genesis? Me. Let me get off of Google, dude, because I'm I'm going back right now. Comes <laughs> in second gear. Trip Hawkins. Trip Hawkins was a gentleman who worked at a little company called Electronic Arts. Electronic Arts. And he was the one who helped out with step number three, more sports. And he went to the one man. Who could do no wrong in the eighties and nineties? Oh my god! I was, la- dude. I'm at work listening to this, and I'm literally laughing out loud, really loud. And then when they start talking about Madden, he's like, and then you got the one guy who, is, you know, everyone knows, everyone knows, and, and and he knows all about sports. And they cut to Madden. He's saying something like, "You go here, and then we'll come right up the middle here, and they won't even know what's coming. They don't even know who you are." He was busting through walls. No matter how no matter how many championships he won, no matter how many video games he put out, no matter how many products he sold, to me, John Madden will always be the motherfucker on screen who slams that thing and goes, boom, tough acting to acting. The fucking (laughs) Tough tough acting to acting. Oh man, John Madden, you had my feet sawed thirty years ago. Where are you now, man? Uh, mm. Yeah, so I love the story they told with this. Uh, they they basically built this game over a, a train ride, an Amtrak from Denver to Oakland, because John didn't like flying. And I, I love the fact that. that John was like a man's man about the whole deal, because Tripp was like, yeah, you know, we're going to design the game like this, and, you know, we're going to do 7-on-7. Seven seven. He goes, no, we can't do 7-on-7. Seven seven. We're going to do 11-on-11. Eleven eleven. No, 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 you're right. Yeah, 11-on-11. Eleven eleven. That's, that's, that's what I meant to say. Um, we're gonna we're gonna do eleven on eleven. Yeah, seven to seven does sound stupid. Like they were just like, we're gonna do this, and John's like, no, we're gonna do this. Like John doesn't even know what the fuck it takes to make these shits. He has mm-hmm. no clue how to make a fucking. Oh, video. clearly not, because like, yeah, man, we should He's do like, eleven on eleven. But like, you know, we can't just have players, right? Because <laughs> all the players aren't the same. Like some are faster, some are smarter, some are taller, some are skinnier, mm-hmm. some are stronger, some are quicker. Yeah. And we need about forty-five thousand different attributes that we can have sliders on, so that everyone can uh, act better or worse in certain positions. That way, it really feels real. The guys like. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's like, are you fucking nuts? He's like, he, <laughs> in his head, he was probably screaming. Good thing nobody told John Madden that the action stick was fucking applicable. Otherwise, he'd be like, yeah, let's do that, let's do that shit too. I was like, god damn. Oh now, the first Madden was on a floppy for an Apple II. And I was like, I don't remember that. I remember that. I remember hearing about that. I never, obviously, never played I remember it. But the I remember next one. hearing about it for sure. I remember the next one Madden 92. Mm. I remember Madden 92. More specifically, I remember you playing Madden 92. 
And the mm. reason why I remember it is because you used to cry your fucking ass off. Cause Wayne, because Wayne used to get into your ass every mm. fucking game, and you would just get tight and rage quit every fucking time. You kept going uh-huh. back for more. You have to. I give you the credit. You paid That's your dues. You yeah, you paid your dues. But boy, he was waxing the ass in Madden '92 for many, many years. That's why, I, and I always remember that year because they didn't say the year in the in the documentary. But I remember the right. year because the baseball right. footage, not just because we played it, but because of the old ludicrous line. Since Madden '92, from the oh, video game. Oh yeah, I remember that. I always remember that line from Ludacris. So I was like, yeah, that's definitely '92. So yeah, that yeah. was definitely big. If there's gonna... one thing that came from that that definitely taught me like how to just get better at stuff. So I got my ass beat in Madden, and so it bad. wasn't until like later, later Maddens where I was waxing that ass. Oh no, you but definitely. It... Dis- the domination started, and then it was over after that. He quit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He stopped playing he stopped me because he, he just getting... couldn't get that. He was losing a lot of money. Yeah. He started betting. He started betting. And let I me tell you something. Rent, yes. Renting games started turning into buying games real quick, and then he had to find another hustle. <laughs> oh, no. He turned the hustle on to me with the basketball games until I started beating him in that. But yeah, he uh, No, but definitely, I definitely have memories of that shit going down. One last dude I want to mention before we move on to the next episode, but real brief, because I don't really want to spend a whole bunch of time, because to me, he rubbed me all kinds of the wrong way. Chris Tang, who was the MTV Rock the Rock 1994 MTV Sega World Champion. This dude, Chris Tang, if you can hear this podcast, someone send this to Chris Tang. Suck my dick, Chris Tang. I hate, every, <laughs> I hate everything about you. Your whole vibe on this whole show fucked me up. It's six episodes. You were the worst fucking thing on it. I hate you. I hate everything about you. I hate your mannerisms. I hate the fact that you consume air on the same planet that I consume. I hate oh you. God. I don't want you to exist anymore. I want the trophy back. I want that. Well, and then the the killer picture, because you know they're talking about him because he won. So obviously I know he wins, right? They're not gonna interview the fucking runner up, but you know he wins. And then MTV rolls out this wa- this barrel, not barrel, this like a little wagon. Filled with satchel bags with dollar signs on it. I said, oh, no, I want to fucking. Did they rob some old ye English bank somewhere and get these satchels (laughs) and then have this fucking Asian dude in there just rolling around? It's like, God damn it. I I hate him. Do you remember anything about this guy? Mm, Vaguely. Vaguely. Good. Let's move on. Piece of shit. Everything about no, no, no. What was so? You got to tell me what was so bad because nothing stood out to me. It was just, it was another tournament one, like he you said. It was a little dull, so my brain just kind of went past it. Yes. But what, what, what about it? I, I think, I think personally, yes, he was the world champion, right? I'll give him the credit. He was a, he was a hell of a gamer. But I think they brought him on there for something else. If you, if you look at all the people they brought on, even the previous, like we just spoke earlier about the Space Invader champion and and jeff hansen who i personally had jealousy about so that, that's why i didn't speak too fondly of him but he was a cool dude right? he's competing not a big deal he told us it's the way these people tell the stories chris tang rubs me as the kind of person when you're online for something and all they keep doing is running their fucking pie hole all fucking day you know the stories that you and brandon always tell me about being in line for wrestling shows and shit and all they do, all for, well, you know, in a you know, final battle, 2010, 
uh, in the third match, four minutes in, Nigel McGuinness broke his left index toe, and uh, that, it hasn't healed since. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Chris Tang looks like right before he played every game of that tournament, he jerked off looking at himself in the mirror. And he just gave himself, he was repeating strategies in his head. Remember, when you get the coin box to hit the second and the third loop. And then, like, that's the kind of fucking gamer. He, I think he was brought on this show to be the gamer that everyone hates. He's the dude that will talk shit when he wins. And then as soon as he loses, you're a nigger. You know, like, he's one of those gamers. <laughs> he's one of those gamers. Where he's like, he raped your mom and he raped your sister. It's so and funny because he's, he's, I know tons of people like that. Exactly. That's Chris Tang. That's why his last name was Tang. Because he's a twat. He's a, he is a human oh vagina. If Chris Tang was to lift his arms straight up above his head, he would look like a vulva. He's a pussy. Everything about him is disgusting. I hate Chris Tang. I, 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 I watched it the first time. I didn't see the Chris Tang train coming the first time I saw it. So, And they kept going back to him. And in the whole episode, the first time I saw this, I was like, please stop putting that retarded fortune cookie on the fucking screen. Yo, and, we'll go back and watch and, it again. And move on. Because I can't, I, I just, everything that he OD. just said, everything he described, his fucking mannerisms, even, not even, what kills me is it wasn't even his mannerisms now. They played footage of him in the hotel, like, getting ready to go. And they're like, hey, Chris, you ready? He's like, yeah, man, ready to kick some ass. What the, what? You're playing fucking Sega. What you, he, <laughs> like, he was talking like he was about to go to fucking war. He's like, yeah, man. Oh, wait, wait, wait. It's ass. coming back to me. Is this a guy who, when he won, he turned around and, like, threw his fist in the air yeah. and was just like, Oh, and then, yeah. he, and then he credited the moment himself as an iconic moment. He was like, yeah, I threw my hand in the air, and it was, like, in slow motion. It was kind of an iconic moment. I was like, it really wasn't, Chris, because I've never seen that footage in my life. What are you talking about? He was OD trying to no, put himself. Okay. I'm, I'm getting your vibe. I do want to go back and watch it, was, it again. Just purely was, off this. So but... the sec- I watched it full way the first time. And I said to myself when it was over, never again. So when I went back to watch it for this, I skipped all that. I was like, oh, no, wow. no, thank you. I also wanted to slip in that Sega had a magazine. I didn't know about this. Sega Visions. I wasn't really big on that. Sega Vision. No, I think I remember seeing it vaguely. Yeah, very similar. I know they had a magazine for sure. Breaks down the strategies like a science. Oh my God, look at the note underneath. Jesus, Chris Tang wins the world championship. Uh, Sits in bags with dollar bill signs. I want to delete my notes. It's (laughs) fucking ridiculous. Fucking Chris Tang. Oh my God. Fuck Chris Tang. Can I name the episode Fuck Chris Tang? Now that might that might throw people off. I want people to actually listen to this. So never mind. <laughs> Plus, he might find it himself because I'm sure he googles himself every fucking day. Who's talking about Chris Tang today? Nobody. Chris. But these these last two are 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 pretty big. They're huge. They're huge. And it's like, and episode five is named very simply "Fight." We talked yes. a little bit about it already. Obviously, we started off with the game. The game that, in my opinion, got more people in New York stabbed and jumped and beat up than any other game in the history of the arcade. We're talking Street Fighter. Akira and Nishitani. On the other side of that coin, that's the game that taught me how to, uh, or I guess I could say motivated me to learn my ABCs. 
all because of the controller setup. <laughs> no, because I played it so much and I was getting in trouble in school. So on the weekend when I was playing, mom took the power cord out and told me that she won't give it back to me until I learned my ABCs. So then I left the apartment, went across the street, I'm across the street, across the apartment, which I believe was one of her friends. They used to come over all the time. And there was a they had a kid and he helped me learn the ABCs, like memorize them on the spot. And then I went back and said them to her and she gave me the cord back. Oh, well, look at that motivation. I forget. I, re I remember there was a family across the street that mom was friends with. And I distinctively going over is like, yo, knocked on the door. Do you know your ABCs? He's like, yeah. I'm like, dude, you got to teach me these things. I'm trying to play a street. And look at that. The ABCs have worked out well for you thus far. See? carried you the oh rest of your life God. so akira nishitani we can thank you for that as well uh That's obviously it. the first game 1987 street fighter one ryu or ken that's all we had that's do you remember playing this arcade pizza shop uh, i never i never played the first one i never played the one where it was just ryu and ken uh, i've always heard about it and seen it but i've never played that one i've heard legend <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've I seen did. a lot they of were in a lot of chinese restaurants and pizza shops around i was never really <clears throat> good at it but i, I played it yeah, street fighter 2 was 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 what the kicked one. it off that's the one that kicked everything off 1991 street fighter 2 and i can i shout out real quick I know that we said that pro wrestling was going to take a back seat, but folks, episode five, one of the inspirations for some of the physical aspects of the game, you guessed it, professional wrestling. Now, obviously, mm. the company that they utilized in episode five did not exist in <laughs> 1991 and 1987. They used footage from OWE. I didn't even have to look it up. I know this company already, so I was lucky. It was less <laughs> less work I had to do. But OWE right. was a company founded by SEMA, former champion over in Japan. He used to work a lot with Dragon Gate. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very familiar with his work. Got a chance to work with him one time in my career. Cool dude. Uh, he actually runs and operates, or did anyway, when that company existed, uh, Oriental Wrestling Entertainment. For whatever reason, I don't know the specifics. They don't run anymore. They were actually supposed to have a working agreement with AEW. Uh, when AEW first formed, there was going to be some travel back and forth, <laughs> talent exchanges, that and, you know, that and so forth. And uh, something went down. I'm not entirely sure of the specifics, but OE OWE is not doing too much right now as we speak. But that was the one that really kicked it off. Like we said, Street Fighter 1, Ryu and Ken, that's all you had. And then all of a sudden, kaboom, Street Fighter 2, we've got eight characters to choose from. All very different, eclectic characters mm. from each other. The music we already played for you guys earlier, very specific. It was fun times over at the uh, the House of O way early in the early days. We we used to get pretty competitive with that one too. That one yeah. that one fucked a lot of heads up. I remember uh, a birthday party where everyone was like, "Okay, that's the game we're playing, and that's it." And uh, everyone's just gonna get the shit kicked out of each other until we figure this one out. Uh, Street Fighter Two also was the one. It was our, my first experience. Maybe you can speak differently on it. Uh, of different versions of the same game, we had Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter 2 Turbo, Street Fighter 2 mm -hmm. Hyper Turbo, Super Street Fighter 2, uh, Super Super Duper Mega Uploaded, Street Fighter, whatever the fuck. There were so many different versions. It took six or seven Street Fighters to get to three. And I don't even remember three. I don't think I got to three. I, I got to four. I have that one on my <laughs> Xbox now. And there's a five now. But I was like, holy shit. I was like, Street Fighter 2 ran for forever. 
Yeah. They, and they included more characters over time, <clears throat> T Hawk and, and Fei Long, and we just we kept we kept getting more characters, more characters, but it was just mods and remakes of the same fucking game over and over, right. over and over and over. Is that your first experience with that? Where it was like my first one game. <clears throat> well, Street Fighter Two, when it comes to fighting games, I believe Street Fighter Two was the start. And then I ventured off into other fighting games, but I never stuck to fighting games. So when it came to playing fighting games a lot, it was Street Fighter 2, it was some Mortal Kombat, fell off, and I didn't really get back onto fighting games heavy until Marvel vs. Capcom. Oh! Like that, I played at the arcade. I remember distinctively in Maine wanting to go to the arcade to play that game specifically in the mall. Huge. The fact that that game was not mentioned in this documentary was a crime because that's one of the most uh, famous fighting games of all time. Right. And one of my my son's favorite uh, games right now as we speak. Uh, I think oh, he's man. playing Marvel vs. Capcom three. Uh, we just beat. Well, actually, we're not. We didn't beat. We're on the last uh, boss for the story mode on that. But he loves kicking the shit out of his mother in that game. It's a <laughs> fun time in the in the house of all when that game gets locked in. It gets real. Love it. It gets real. I love it. House. We fight. That's what I'm waiting for. I'm I'm hoping he likes fighting games. That's what I'm waiting for. He does it right now, bro. Me. He's ready. This dude, oh, he's he's button mashing. Um, he's button mashing. But once, once you tell him like what to do, like specific, like right now, I'm letting him just mash it up because it, it you know it makes him feel like he's having fun. But once we, he gets older and we start developing skill into it, forget it. He ain't even got to be older. Just wait till I get my hands on him. I'm going to hit him with some combos. He's <laughs> oh, like, no, oh, how did you do that? Like, Don't worry about it. You got to learn. Oh, so far, oh, I've taught him specials. So he knows what that bar at the bottom means when it goes from one, two, three, four, whatever. He knows right. what he knows what that means now. So he starts to execute. It's 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 crazy. He's five, but he he's, he's together. It's pretty cool. Street Fighter. It, it, it I swear to God, if there's ever a moment where I fucking do a jump kick at him with Chung Li and he parries it and hits me with a special, I'm going to just hug him and cry and weep <laughs> and just be so happy. Straight joy. <laughs> uh, Street Fighter was is obviously one of the big ones that everyone remembers, but there was another, another neighbor across the street that had a little bit more, how do you say, devastation to their art of course the one that everyone leans to when they start talking about fighting games as far as you know og status here this is where the this is where the hood was really made at here Mortal Kombat. this was the more mainstream one because of how controversial it was yes i really believe now more than ever i thought about it at the time but seeing this documentary i really feel like now mortal Kombat was really the controversy because if you yeah. look at the gameplay compared to all these other fighting games that came out, it does, not even Street Fighter, I don't think it holds up. I, I, I don't think it's on the, the the fatalities, the gore. It's more of a spectacle than it is an actual engine for actual Right, and, and which is why I think in present time, Street Fighter is the more popular game because of its technicalness to the fighting game. Whereas Mortal Kombat is still technical and it is, it's still a part of proved. the FGC yeah, it's still part of the FGC. It's still a very popular game in tournaments and stuff like that that is played professionally. But in my opinion, I feel like Street Fighter has is still the more popular game overall. I always thought they were <clears throat> neck and neck until Marvel versus Capcom. And even more specifically, if you want to just do Marvel versus Street Fighter, which was where the 
where it really just c- kind of broke the mold on that one. Right. Uh, once that engine came up, once that game started really hitting and you were doing all kinds of these different animated, uh, like you said, supers and combos, and now you're doing double teams. Combos, mix-ups. Once you started like... executing triple teams and double teams, and it's, it's Mortal Kombat was finished, in my eyes anyway. But I did learn a lot of different things about <laughs> this uh, during the course of the documentary. I love the Van Damme mention. <laughs> yeah. That was another thing, too. Like, I think everyone who was familiar with the Kung Fu movies or the karate movies all had that conversation. Well, the split punch. Hold on a second. That reminds me of somebody. Hold on a second. This dude was full-blown Mark, man. John Tobias, the creator of uh, Mortal Kombat, who just happened to be working. Hey, uh, he, he asked him. For and he way. was like, no. I'm not doing that. He made a comment. We're not going to go too deep into Mortal Kombat, obviously, because it's Mortal Kombat. Everybody's been through... Everybody knows the controversy, the, the blood and everything. We're not going to go through all that. But there's one comment he made that almost put him on Chris Tang level with me. Okay, <laughs> I got so mad when he said it because he said it so fucking nonchalantly. I think he laughed after he said it. He made the game that he wanted to make, right? He, they were like, here, here's an opportunity for you. We, we want to do a fighting game. Do whatever, right? So he was coming up with all these different things. You know, he's a Bruce Lee fan, and he wanted, you know, Street Fighter is very cartoony and animated. We want to be real and digital. So they had like actors, and he was just spending midway's money out the house. <coughs> so I'm already not liking him. I'm like, all right, he's 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 going overboard, right? Because he's like, oh, you know, Street Fighter, you know, it was good, but you know, we wanted to do this. I'm like, no, just stop. First of all, Street Fighter is better than everything that you did. So just hold on a second, S- slow your roll, because it's 2020. Which means he's still of the opinion that his shit was better, which pissed me off. I'm like, all right, you should know by now, motherfucker. It's been 20 years, 30 years to some degree. But the comment that he made, he said, I made the game that I wanted to make because no one was telling us how to make games back then. And that comment pissed me off. Do you know why? Why? I'll tell you It makes sense. Yeah, no, it follows a line of logic, but here's, here's why it pissed me off. No one was telling him how to make games back then. You know why companies are telling people how to make games now? Because of Because of you, motherfucker. Because you (laughs) went out there and did all this fucking Friday the 13th bullshit. You couldn't keep up with what Street Fighter was doing, so you went the other way. You you went shock value. That's what you did. You went headlines. That's what you did. You didn't produce a better game. You didn't. I will fight anybody to the death to this day. Street Fighter versus Mortal Kombat. Street Fighter is a far superior game. Always. Street and Fighter is the better game. It's the better Mortal game. Kombat is the more visually Right, game. and that was it. That was all that it had going for it. And like they said in the documentary, the, the, con- the Congress stuff, the, the legal battles, all that was a fantastic promotional tool because as soon as they found out that it was even possible yep. to do shit like this, it was just crazy. And another game came up, and I'm not going to mention it just yet because I don't want to tip the hand but that game and Mortal Kombat are the reasons we have I think we have it to this day you can correct me if I'm wrong the ESRB the Entertainment Software Rating Board we still have that don't we the mature teen yeah that's with everything it's with everything right well see how nonchalant now you're like oh yeah we had that well back then we didn't well but I thanks get to that John I'm just saying like yeah it's for everything right now because of that fucking ludicrous ideas over here <laughs> Let's just have someone rip their head off and their spine be attached to it still. Yes. As a matter of fact, let me go ahead and just go into this other thing. So when you were watching the videos, I told you specifically, pay attention to Night Trap. 
Did you? Did oh, yes. Yes, Nate, yes. Night yes. Trap was the height of hilarity. For those of you who do not know what Night Trap is, it was created by a guy named Jim Riley, and he got the money from Hasbro Toys to do a video game. And for whatever reason, he said, Dave, he said this with a straight face. He 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 almost had a smile on his face. He's like, yeah, I'm going to create this game, and what I want to do is use security footage or security cameras to give a real footage or a real life look to the game. I'm like, that's not a game, bro. You, you're just looking through security cameras. That was the game. Like, if you look at the gameplay, it you're looking at security cameras. That's it. And they give you this booty-ass remote where you have to <laughs> push buttons to trap these evil villains. And then the actual story of the villains is hilarious because he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do vampires. For whatever reason, I don't know. He's just like, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. We're going to do ninjas. No, he didn't want to do vampires. That ninjas. was his, uh, uh, that he was, the was trying back. to compromise. Yeah, so ninjas. He wanted to ninjas. do ninjas. Correct. Throwing and stars. they were like, Hasbro was like, no, nah, that's not family friendly. You can't throw. He was like, yeah, you can't stab with a knife. You can't do this. And for whatever reason, you can't do ninja stars. Because, you know, ninja stars are common household items. You yeah, can... the argument was they didn't want to put anything on the screen that could be easily replicated right. in home. So, so if he... you show someone stabbing someone, they were afraid that the, someone would grab a knife and stab something. Right. So he was like, but wait a minute. I don't want to stab anybody. Right. I just want to throw ninja stars. Yeah. <laughs> like, how many so ninja stars? Like, maybe these people <laughs> could be chased by vampires. And they're like, okay, cool. Vampires are great, but they can't bite. And they can't be fast. And they can't be fast. So they had these slow-ass, small school bus vampires just hobbling around and shit. And they call, they couldn't even call them vampires. They were called augers. Uh, they called them... I think they did augers. call them vampires. They were called augers. No, they, they, had, uh, they had other names, but in the like the footage that they showed of like the game, yeah. one of the girls... Uh, uh, called them a, called them vampires. They had other names, but they were like, oh, they're like these weak vampires or whatever. She used the word vampire in it. Yeah. But no, not for nothing, at the at my age when that came out, that shit still looks scary. <laughs> well, you know why it looks scary to you? Because these uh, vampires were not just vampires that walked around hoping and praying that they would get some prey. They were grabbing bitches by the neck with a little item called the trocar, which was a metal drill about the size of a fucking uh, premio sausage. It wasn't even like a little dental drill. It was a power tool drill that you would use to make like a backboard for like a gymnasium or something. It was like this huge uh, construction drill that would go into the person's neck and suck out the blood. And Hasbro was like, Cool, that works. Trocar like that. can't that replicate that, right? He's like, wait, what? I can't Mind you, I just wanted to throw ninja stars, yeah. right? We're extracting this, blood from humans yeah, now. Putting, this is ridiculous. So, yeah, that's probably why it was so scary because he's was like, oh my god, he was screaming and there's like, here comes this drill. I was like, what, <laughs> what the fuck is this? And then they did all these changes, and then Harsborough was like, nah. And then they just dropped it. That was yep. it. They spent all this money, and then the project just fucking lay there. And then Sega said, I like this. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, let's let's finish this. And then another quote. I grabbed a quote from uh, Jim. 
because uh, I was, as we mentioned earlier, this went to Congress. People were upset, outraged. They were offended by the material. And uh, Jim, of course, laughing his ass off. Why not? It's 30 years ago. Who gives a fuck? Right? He's just like, yeah, we went to Congress or whatever. They had a meeting. They played the scene with Lisa in the bathroom where, like, the vampire comes in the, in the window and, like, grabs the bitch by the neck. He's like, yeah, that wouldn't play too well with the Me Too movement today. <laughs> yeah, that movement where all these bitches got raped and, uh, and beaten and destroyed. Yeah, grabbing a woman by the neck in a video game would not fly well. You are correct, Jim. That is a good assessment. If that would not work out so well right now, that that's was funny. My power supply just fell onto the floor. Mad loud. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh, yeah, that would not play out too well in the Me Too movement. You are absolutely correct. So I want people to understand not only did Night Trap exist with these B rated actors, did you see the acting in this fucking thing? But they actually did a remastered version. I did not know this. It's out for the Switch. It came out in 2018. Folks, you can get a copy of Night Trap right now for your Nintendo Switch. You can Mm. take that very expensive game console that you bought, put it in your living room, and stare creepily through camera footage of teenagers from 30 years ago being chased around by vampires who are apparently afflicted with down syndrome chasing people around with drills that go into people's necks this is something that you can do right now head over to amazon and check out night trap for nintendo switch <laughs> that, was, that was my pitch right there for nintendo switch I like, I like there we it. Go. one last person we got to mention before we get to the last episode here takahiro nakano if we're going to add another member to the God Club, it's going to be this gentleman. I named him the Prodigy and the Destroyer. The 1993 Street Fighter Tournament World Champion. Did you remember anything about this guy? No, I don't know why. Okay. it wasn't. He wasn't really in it a lot. But I love the fact... See, he was the anti-Chris Tang. He didn't say anything. He didn't pat himself on the back. He didn't flayed himself. He walked into the room. He destroyed your life. And then he went home. <laughs> that was it. He, oh, yes, 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 yes. I remember. Yes, I remember. This he went the in. Guy yes. who, okay, I gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Go ahead. He was the guy that got. Uh, he's the guy who uh, was on top of the world, destroyed everybody in fighting games, and yes. then got a desk job. And, and they and make then, sure. That and understood. then, oddly enough, uh, esports pops off, and the guy, his boss, just so happened to remember that he used to play fighting games, and goes, "Hey, I'm going to start a pro an esports team, and I want you to find the people, and I want you to run it." And I was like, "Uh, okay, talk about fucking falling right into your dream job. Sure, why not?" Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, so the, exactly that. You actually just went through the whole thing. Talk to me a little bit about the esports. Do you know much about this? you follow this? I mean, this is like a league thing, yeah. right? I, well, it's a, it, it's a lot of things. Like anything. It, at this point, it's anything that you can think of for the most part uh, probably has a competitive scene today. 
even even they do some smaller scale speed running. So like different games that aren't conventionally competitive games, they do fast as some competition. But for the most part, when you're thinking about esports, you're thinking of um, multiplayer versus games like fighting games, sh- first person shooter games, uh, strategy games uh, like StarCraft or like. Um, like League of Legends and stuff like that as well. It's really what you're thinking about when you see esports. Hmm. There you go. Well, our world champion here has a team, as you just mentioned, and I wrote down right here because I want to give him proper respects. First of all, I love the fact that when they told the story of his tournament win, he, he was a very dominant player with Sagat. He won the final match with a fucking perfect. I mean, how how fucking gangster is that? Now, in my mind, being a former player, I thought to myself, no way did he fight the second best guy in the room with a perfect and didn't cheese the fuck out of that motherfucker. But I digress. I didn't see the nope. match. Nope. I did nope. not see the Dude, match. I'm, tell- I'm telling you right now, I watch, and this made me kind of want to go back and watch some more because there's a bunch that I haven't seen. I go back and watch some of the Evo tournaments and stuff like that, the really big, big, big tournaments. And you're talking about people who not only play at the highest level, not only people who sit usually at the top of the ladder, but they fight each other all the time. They're in all the same tournaments. So the biggest thing about fighting games is that learning to read your opponent. Like you can play the same character multiple times. People at the higher end usually have different and new techniques that you have to go over. So these guys know each other very well. And it comes to the point where it's like, uh where where they're fighting each other and sometimes it's extremely close and then sometimes you they just get destroyed and it's, they it's the same person they fought not too long ago and the outcomes can be completely different just because of how good someone's got or if they read the other person if they the, some of the guessing is just insane they know when they're going to jump they guess they tag it they stun them they hit them with the combo and finish them and they're like doing perfects to like top three player in the world yeah i mean okay then you've convinced me then because at first i was like no way but now that you say that it's not actually that rare an occurrence then all right cool if anyone out there is interested in fighting it i highly suggest you go look up something like the evo past tournaments and stuff like that it is so much fun to watch, especially when you don't really know who wins and you get to kind of like see that excitement. It, it's a really fun watch. So. so I'm glad that you're familiar with this because what I'm about to say, hopefully you can clarify for me. So his team, I love the fact that first of all, his shirt says Nakano Sagat. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, he's going to rub it in their face. That he's a Sagat guy. All right. But the name of the team, Kyoto Sozana, Sozano, three members, three young individuals, Koji Kog or KOG. His specialty was fighting games. Sakagami, his specialty was Street Fighter V. And Reaper. How is his name Reaper? Reaper Reaper with no numbers? What's up with this? He's the only Reaper on the planet. The OG Reaper. The OG Reaper. He's Reaper 1. His specialty is shooting games. Now help me with this. Mm -hmm. Because Koji's specialty fighting games. Mm -hmm. All right? uh, Sakagami's specialty, just Street Fighter V. Seems very limited. No. Oh well, yeah. Yeah. Is this skill set different between the two? Uh, One thousand percent. Okay, that's what I wanted so to. You have, so you have people 
first of all, most people today are play play them all at different levels, all the top level, but play them all. Some have strong points, some have weak points, whatever the case may be. Um, but then you have some. You can have some who say, you know, I, when I enter tournaments, when I go to when I go to Evo, I only enter into the Street Fighter Five portion. Uh, but you have people like icons like Sonic Fox who not only submits himself in almost every single fighting game that is at the EVO tournament, he's in every single one of them, but he wins almost all of them. Jesus. So he's like an expert at all fighting games. He will, he, he's won Street Fighter, he's won Mortal Kombat, he's won, uh, what's the other one with the DC fighters? I forget. Oh, in, uh, Injustice. Injustice. He wins the Injustice one. I, he, there's a couple of anime ones. Uh, he was top in uh, Marvel vs. Capcom. He is an iconic fighting game like specialist. If you want to talk about someone who's all around, not only well-rounded, but like number one and well-known across the whole uh, community, it's Sonic Fox. Look him up if you're interested. I just did. He's right here in front of me right now. Yep, and he likes to cosplay. He's a furry. Yeah, he likes to cosplay yeah. as a fox. I thought that was just an animator that put that picture together. That's something he wears to the shows. Yep, he will wear. He wears. He wears the whole thing onto the stage, the whole, the helmet and everything, and then he'll take the helmet off and sit it next to him, and he will play against you with the suit on. He's known for this, and he will destroy you. The dude is just insane. Apparently, this dude came out as gay a year ago. Okay, cool. Yep. Okay. Well, I've got some research to do because I'm very interested. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be taking uh, some relaxation medicine later. So I'll look it over with that. There you go. Watch, <laughs> watch some of the matches, man. They're fun. They, they get I've intense. watched quite a few of them. You know, uh, you know um, I, I used to watch them a little re- uh, regularly, actually, for a while. You know what got me into them? I got a hold of that infamous Perry clip. That, uh, that yeah. really got me into it because of that crowd reaction. I was like, does it always sound like this? And pretty much, I mean, that was like the first big time that it really happened. Uh, for those of you, again, who I always have to remember that some people don't know what I'm talking about. So the, can you explain that, actually? I forget who the people were. I think it, it was, was like two legendary guys that were going at it. It was like, I, I, think I don't know if it was, it was the Justin or... Wong and someone else, the main guy well, who actually did the parry. Right. I think Wong I for... was the one who got beat by the parry, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd have to look but, it up, but yeah. Yeah, but anyway, what, what did you want me to say? Well, no, that <laughs> was basically it. I just wanted to, like, like if you knew any more of the details um, about that particular fight. But if not, it's not that it's not a backbreaker. We can, no, I mean, we <clears throat> the fight, it's just, it was the finals. It was, came down infamous. to... Because infamous. This was viral la- before viral was cool. Like this. It was, it was the ultimate situation with one outcome and you this is why it's so legendary this was the last upper there there were this is like the lowest percentage chance for him to Justin win versus dago D- yes 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 i'm gonna play it hold on i want people to hear the audience hold on one second it's the evo championship series which is dope okay i'm gonna fast forward just a little bit oh actually angry Justin's turtle spot. So right now, overcome Rao. 
That's how fucking loud that shit was. <laughs> yeah, it came down the to... The cameraman pans he, up after the game. kick. It was his game. It was Justin's game to win. He did... He did the best option he had to win, and he should have won. However, <laughs> there was only one way out of that because, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was so low in health that even if he blocked the super, by the time the super was done, he would have died. Right. Because the block damage would have killed him. Right. The only way to survive is if he parried it, which means you take no damage. And the thing about parry is if you do it correctly on certain moves, it leaves the opponent completely open. It, it, there's no frames that you lose from a parry. You can instantly react right after right. the parry. But the also the thing is, is that you there's, a, well, I think, like seven or eight motions, and then it has a dance to it. It's like, bop, 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 right. bop, 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 bop. And it's very specific with Chung Lee special. And you have to hit them perfectly. And the, and the biggest thing around all of that is that this isn't online. This is yes, in person. This right is here. I'm sitting next to him, and there's people screaming behind me. So it's like you ever try to do something, but you can't hear yourself think. Yeah, he did all of that with all that noise. He was a and flow. On top of that, Justin <laughs> Wong was known for smashing his um, controller. Yeah, smashing his thing to throw off the opponent. So like he's known for that. He he over smashes buttons on purpose. Even though he was he wasn't a button masher, he was strategic with his buttons. But when he knew the keys didn't count, he would he would make a lot of noise. And it was a strategy that a lot of people did. So through all of that, he hit every parry perfectly. Hit the special, which won him the game. Which is like one in a million chance to pull that off, especially in the like. The scenery that he was in when he did it. It's the most, it will forever be, you'll never get that again. <laughs> and for people who are new to all this, who are listening, when we're using the word parry, it's the same version as you would think of in the martial arts form. That's why in the video game, like my brother just said, you don't lose a lot of frames when you parry because, like in real life, a parry isn't a block, it's using your opponent's force against himself. So that's where the vulnerability part comes in. That's why this event, this move in this event was so special because a parry in the game, much like in real life, is very difficult to pull off. One parry is incredibly difficult to pull off. It's a timing thing, so people don't really invest too much time in trying to perfect that because the, there's too much variables involved. We don't know how they're going to hit it, when they're going to hit it. it it's It would t be too time-consuming. So for, for one parry... That would have gotten a pop in that room. He executed six. Yep. So it was the three main kicks. Then he jumps in the air and parries. And you, you have to. That's the <laughs> only way you can parry that. That's that's what makes it I'm nuts. I'm going to turn the audio off for a second, cause, and I want to yeah. go back because I want to make sure 
how many of these parries did he actually do? And I didn't intend on getting on this, but I'm glad that we did. But hold on one second, because this is incredible. Oh, yeah, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. The twelve is the twelfth was the last one in the air, and then he hits his special attack, which was another part that made it so difficult because the the parry system is already difficult. The last parry was in the fucking air, which means yeah. that the Chun-Li character was executing an offensive move up. So when right. Ken came down, he had the whole field wide yep. open, and he and he pulls it off. And uh, many people make the argument because this was brought up in the Street Fighter documentary. This moment, this moment, is what put these championship series, these 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 uh, these games. On the map, professionally. It went viral. Everyone was talking about it. Even people who don't know what they're looking at were excited about it because the room, like, it mattered so much to the people who were fucking there. This video ends by saying you had to be there. If you right. were in that room, you're you're almost a legend just for being there. Right. Like, you go to these other games and you go to these other tournaments and they're like, oh, yeah, I was there for Dago and Justin in 04. And they're like, what? I would imagine what those two felt being in that chair doing that would be the same thing with walking out at Mania. I, I, it, it would be the same thing. I would, but the only difference I would make, and it's a, probably a little worse, is that at Mania, it's a moment that's shared between the two. Someone lost this in the most incredible fucking way you can possibly lose in a fucking video game. I just want to draw the picture even more because this is so iconic. When it comes to a block, <clears throat> if anyone's played any kind of fighting game at all, when it comes to block, if I hold backwards, no matter what you do, I'm going to block it if I hold it. Right. When it comes to a for to do a parry, you have to hit forward. forward. Right. But you can't hold forward. The only time a parry would work is in the single frame, and I don't know if Anybody understands what the frame, what a frame means? But if you pause a video and you press the arrow and it slides over a shimmy, that's a frame. Every f it, at the initial frame that that character makes contact with your character, that's when you hit forward. He did that twelve times once in the air, and then still had the muscle memory to perform his special, which is just I could talk about. I, we could move past this because that's it's just so <laughs> insane. It's we, a we great. We do have one more piece that we want to get to here. I, again, yeah, we could definitely do a whole other fucking thing just on this. One second. Okay, cool. All right, so the last piece here, I was getting a warning sign from my Google Voice, but it wasn't attached to this, so that's good. Okay, so uh, our last episode here, this is another big one for those who are just listening to us discuss how crazy it was in that room. Uh, this is actually a great segue because you just said it a second ago. This wasn't online play. This Everyone was in that room. So episode six talks about online play, which is where we're at today. This yep. was... This was the beta version of that. This is where we... This is where the online playing started. Now, every version, I think, pretty much, any game at this point it doesn't even really matter what console or what version it is to some degree has an online play function i have peggle on my xbox i can for some reason play online with peggle like this 
everything. <laughs> Fuck it. I can do online gaming on my phone, right? This this is something that I like. You said at the beginning of this. Actually, I think you might have said it off air before we started. Just things that we take for granted, right? Episode 6, we walk right into that. I First thing I wrote here, internet server, FPS games, first-person shooters. This is something that, again, you've dabbled in over the years. You uh, made mention earlier of, like, a Call of Duty. Uh, I don't even know if you can consider it that. Is Left 4 Dead an FPS? Yes. Even though it's got, like, the other... If it's first person, if it's first person, and it has a gun in your hand or throwing or any kind of aim mechanic, it is a first person shooter. Okay, so then I too am an FPS player because that's the literally the only game. Well, I can't even say that. Ever since my wife spit out a person, I haven't really been on Left 4 Dead too much. Like I said, I am now the Lego King. But uh, one day when my son goes to college, maybe they'll have a third one out and I'll play it again. Uh, But we have a. uh, we we were introduced by uh, a gentleman who I'm sure fancies himself a god, so I won't put him there. John <laughs> John Romero, uh, who got together with John Carmack, who created the infamous Doom video game. Now, you don't jump ahead because the first game they created is also known as a cult classic. It that is. is so yeah, I'm not going to right. So what? A, Probably you know, more than Doom. Man, I'm not no, so. But not, it's not more than Doom. No. But it's up there. It's up there. It was, it was a fantastic game. Do Do you have any experience playing these games on the floppy? I don't think I played them on the floppy. No. No, well, I, mean, I think I got Doom. Doom was on Super Nintendo, wasn't it? I think at some point it hit a lot of the major uh, consoles. Right. I know for a fact it was a Doom 64. I remember that. I had never played a PC game until later in life. I mainly were on was on the consoles. I never really had anything on the computer. So the games that you referred to earlier, where you said, well, don't skip ahead, talk about the other game first, Wolfenstein 3D, which is still considered... One of the greatest games of all time, and that mm-hmm. was that was their beta. That was the one they yeah. were just fucking around with. Doom was their piece de resistance. But Wolf Wolfenstein, I have a Wolfenstein story and I have a Doom story, a personal one. So Wolfenstein, my school bought Wolfenstein. I don't think they knew what they were buying. I really don't think so either. Cause they, I think they just saw Apple game or something and they were like whatever so you remember the old floppy disk containers mm-hmm. right, with the sleeves and everything so the library at the school that I was at god I wish I could remember which school it was but I was in so many when I was a kid so I don't remember which one it was but it, they had a bunch of different programs and typing games and all kinds of stupid shit and in that container was a big old floppy Wolfenstein right I had no idea what it was but I tell you this, I wasn't playing that Caterpillar game one more fucking time. I promise you that. I'm not doing this. <laughs> I don't know what this is, but it ain't the fucking Caterpillar game. I wish I could remember the name of that game, but fuck it. It was the Chris Tang of floppy disk games. So I said, no, I'm not doing this. So I put in Wolfenstein. And within five seconds, I am just bombarded by the most uh, aggressive Nazi propaganda of all time. Now, I, at this age, which is 92, so what am I, 9 at this point? I don't know what the fuck Nazis are. I don't know what a swastika is. I just know I'm blowing shit up. That's so it. So I'm into this, right? 
So I'm getting into this. I got friends next to me. We're playing. We're taking turns. It's getting loud, right? So the librarian or whatever, the adult comes over, and she sees a bunch of kids blowing up Nazis. She's like, what is this? And I was like, this is Wolfenstein. And she was like, where did this come from? I was like, you. <laughs> you, you, you're here. responsible for this. Yeah, you have exposed me. No lie, Wolfenstein was my first experience with anything Nazi-related, and I didn't know what it was. And they were like, yeah, you can't play this anymore. I'm like, well, you're the one who put it on the table, baby. I didn't buy this. I don't know what this is. <laughs> and they took it, and they got rid of it or whatever. So that was the first time I'd ever played it. But I kept it in mind because a year or so later, Doom came out. Now, I didn't play Doom originally when it came out. right? I didn't have access to the materials necessary for uh no, Doom in 1993. But many years later, many, many, many years later, as a matter of fact, there was a tournament that took place. Nothing huge, very local. It was in it was in New York because we were living in Connecticut at the time. It was something that Hen- I don't know if you remember, remember Henry Street. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for those of you who are there, it was just a it was just a, a, a kids like after school center or whatever the fuck, and they were putting together a, a gaming tournament. They had a room set up. With all these computers that were all hooked up together. I was at an age where, like, it looked cool, so I was like, fuck it. You know, a lot of my friends were playing it. So, fuck it. We get in there, and it was fucking Doom. And I was like, what is Doom? They're like, this is fun as fuck. I was like, all right, cool, fuck it. I'm probably painting a horrible story about myself as a kid. It was just like, what is this? I don't know. All right, fuck it. Let's do it. Or whatever. It's a nutshell. Yeah, in a nutshell. That's pretty much me. So, they're like, you know, the whole thing boots up Doom. And they're like... And I see this muscular little white boy shooting at aliens. And I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> muscular and, little white yeah, boy. So they're like, yeah, we're going to play uh, Team Deathmatch. I was like, what the fuck is that? And it was like, yeah, we're going to do this, this, this. I was like, cool. Sounds great. So we started playing. And I got introduced to something that was mentioned in this documentary in the most horrific way possible. Scared the fuck out of me. If anybody's played Doom, you know, and they bragged about it in this documentary. The lighting is off. There's some creepiness going on. Organic walls. Things are moving. Okay. And the, I was playing with a bunch of jackasses. Right. So the lights are off. Right. We're trying to get some ambiance in the room. You know, some of the computers had like, because it was mostly headsets, but there were some that had speakers. So I have a headset and then there's speakers. So I got like a THX thing going on. I got, <laughs> I got, I got high def monsters moaning and shit. And we're shooting, well, you know how Doom looks. And I'm sitting in a corner with at least two other people. We're trying to shoot each other, trying not to get shot. And then one dude walks in. We'll call him Big Dick Number One, okay? Okay. Big Dick Number One comes in. He sees three <clears throat> niggas in a corner. And for anybody who's played FPSs in the past, this is hilarious. I'm like, oh, look at these cute fucks trying to butt fuck each other with the dullest of spoons. <laughs> and he, and he goes into his fucking back pocket and he pulls the trigger on the machine and the whole room lights the fuck up. And I said, what the fuck is this? And that's when I heard the words, the letters, I should say, for the first time. B-F-G. And I said, what in the fucking hell is a B-F-G? And he said, big fucking gun. And I got to be honest with you, Dave, for several years, a decade, I thought he was being a dick. I'm like, really? Big fucking gun? Go fuck yourself. Like, I just thought he was being a cocky yeah. dick. No, sir. Yourself. The name of the gun actually it was, was 
big fucking – I felt bad because I cursed him out that day. I wish I could find him on Facebook and apologize for it. But big, I thought he was – because of the way he said it. It's a big fucking gun. I was like, go fuck yourself. Don't, don't, <laughs> do that to – G-F-Y. Go fuck yourself. Don't tell me it's a B. I thought he was bullshit. <laughs> I thought he was bullshit. It really was BFG. And they were quick in the documentary. They were like, yeah, it's big. It's gun. And you can figure out the rest. No, it's fucking, dude. Just say you're Netflix. You can say fucking. It's okay. No one's going to take the video off. You can do whatever you want. You can say fucking. That's funny. But So you never got a chance to play Doom either. <clears throat> no, I was never big on Doom. I knew of Doom. I played... I think I played on the system. It had something to do with color-coded um, cards, and then you had to like open a door, and then I shot a few things, and then I was I was past it. <laughs> I'm over this. I was just I was just over it. I guess. Well, what is it? It was one of those games that I kind. Of, I think I think it was just one of those games I had to sneak. Like oh, again, okay. in this time, these gory games were like. It, it was a no-no, man. You couldn't have them in the house, like especially around my age. Like yeah, I couldn't have them. Mom was so, a little against the whole satanic. Yeah, so I, thing. so I had to like sneak some of this stuff. And then when I did get to play, it was at friends' house and stuff. And usually, I don't get to get a good gaming session there. It was like you play a little bit and whatever. So right. yeah, it was. Those were one of those games that, in the time that it was popular, I didn't get to really get a crack at it and. I just never went back to it. It's just one of those games I didn't go back to. Well, John Romero and John Carmack got to get uh, got together uh, after they were part of a company called Gamers Edge, a gaming subscription service with I wrote random stuff. I remember <laughs> Gamers Edge. I never had a subscription myself, but again, that same library that had, that got me in trouble for the Nazi shit. Also, right. had, also had Gamer's Edge where you would put in the disc or whatever, and it would have an assortment of different games. You know, the Snake game and all kinds of random shit. I'm pretty sure now that I think about it, that's where the fucking Caterpillar game. I swear to God, if I ever see that fucking game again, I will fucking I will set fire to the device that showed it to me. But they, that's where they met, and uh, they created a company called ID Software, where they did. We just spoke about it a second ago. Wolfenstein and uh, and Doom, obviously. They were shutting servers down. They were making a, a, a lot of headway here. But there's a specific points to Doom that I definitely want to get your opinion on. First of which, were you or were you not fucking... Because you never really got a chance to play the game. So based on my description of the game, does it shock you at all that when they were telling the story, oh, well, this, you know, this is how we did Doom. We turned all the fucking lights off. We covered up the fucking window. We put fucking metal on. We pounded a bunch of fucking drinks. We played games 24 hours fucking straight, and then bam, doom. And I'm like, you know what? That fucking makes sense to me, because that's what that fucking game looks like. It looks like two fucking crazy white people locked themselves into a fucking room, laced themselves up with every drug they can possibly fucking find, put on heavy metal fucking music, and just fucking programmed. Until That's that it. balls dropped, and that and here's Doom, the greatest video game to ever fucking live and exist on planet Earth. Dark metal, right? But I wanted to get your opinion because did you see the part where John John Carmack just got fed up, and they were like, "Dude, I don't want the screen to be shifting, man. I want to feel like immersed in this world." And he managed to program Super Mario Three onto a PC. Did you see that part? Yeah, I saw it. That part reminded me a lot of the fucking thing that we just talked about before with Steve Golson. 
where he was just like, oh, this game is cool, but fuck it, no one's paying for it, so I'm just going to rip it apart. This motherfucker took an NES mm-hmm. and was like, watch this. <laughs> In one night. Yep. In he one did that shit twice. Night. He's the same one who got the online working. Yeah. Wait, let me look. Yes, he was. Yes. Absolutely. So not that's the thing that's so nuts about this with these two is like the other guy, the other guy's like managing and creating these games and he's going off into like his own world and revol he revolutionized games forever. the gaming industry twice. Forever. In yeah, a twice. massive way. He the reason why we have Twitch and things like that today is because of this gentleman. If yeah, this guy didn't what do did. what he did, PC gaming would not be what it is today. Now, let's not suck his dick too hard. Let's not bruise the head of his cock at the back of your throat for one second because <laughs> there's one piece of the puzzle that I think gamers today might be a little upset with him about. Yeah, almost that. So when Doom was released, obviously everyone was talking about it. They were hyping it up. They were talking about press releases, all this stuff. And then they released Doom, right, for everyone to download. But uh, 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 you were only really getting Doom one of three. It was in three diskettes, meaning they were going to give you Doom one. You played your levels, you played the game, you did what you want to do. But if you wanted the other two, if you wanted extended maps, different weapons, you got to cough up that money. Folks, if you're going to give him credit for online play, you got to fault this guy for fucking DLC as well, my friend. Hey, listen. Hey, let me tell you something. The way they did it was far better than the way they do it now because he even said it. He gave you like nine levels of game. Yeah. But if you want to continue the story, there's two more discs. That's paid version. He gave everyone a free version. If you want the paid version. And the paid version was pretty nuts. You got two discs full of game, online capability, and then on top of that, full modding capability. Yes, we're going to go spawned, to that next, yes. Which spawned insane amount of different, like an entire new library of games mm-hmm. to play the same game. So, yeah, he may have invented it, but they actually did it better as well. <laughs> well, the way that he did it, that's probably going to be his defense. Well, when I did it, yeah, you know, back I in my day, I wasn't fucking people over with this shit. Now they've gotten right. crazy with it. Yep. But yeah, they really opened up the door to a lot of things. One last guy that we're going to talk about, and then I'm going to wrap this up toward the end with uh, the godfather of gaming. Got to talk about Dylan Cuthbert. Dylan Cuthbert put together something that actually influenced you a little bit. He was one of the ones that helped develop 3D polygonal graphics. He worked with a company called Argonaut Software, LTD, of course. And he was with his company, and he was like, you know what? This is all cool and great. Another guy where he was just like, yeah, these games are great, fantastic, but, you know, you, know, you don't really get to move around too much, you know? I like a more uh, three-dimensional gameplay. And I'm like, yeah, sure, crazy Cuthbert. There's no way we can do that. So he was like, watch me work, penis heads. And he took a Game Boy, ripped it apart, took all kinds of different shit out, put all kinds of different shit in, and voila! He actually had a 3D surrounded game demo played on the Game Boy, which was in the documentary, folks. No bullshit. Yep. This, is, this was the Game Boy that and he did it with. And he put the whole fucking thing together. He enlisted the help of another gentleman, Gillis Goddard, and they went together and fought each other to the fucking death on many a fucking occasion, flew over to fucking Japan, 
and help put together one of the greatest Nintendo games of all time, classic, Star Fox. Mm. Yeah, that's a game that I know that you were big on back in the day. Big Star yeah. Fox guy. Got into it. And, uh, the top out of that game. When I first saw this, and maybe I'm just, I don't know, maybe it's a memory thing. I don't know what it is. That's the noises they made when the they were like talking in the too. dialogue. Yeah, the dialogue, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember 3D gaming being, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't remember it being that big of a deal. Like, I don't remember too many kids really talking about it. Like, yeah, the games looked cooler, and you were able to do more things. That was kind of exciting. But I don't ever remember, like, today, when a game comes out, it'll look spectacular. They're like, oh, my God, why does it look like that? Jesus, this is, this is garbage. So games like Star Fox, I think, was more revolutionary for the creators themselves than the actual player. Um, I got that vibe, too, open- yeah. It, huh? I got that vibe too. Yeah. Yeah. So like, Star Fox was a great game, but if there's not, I'm not really gonna tell you that it was the most visually pleasing. If anything, it stood out to me as one of the worst looking games. I didn't enjoy looking at it. I'd prefer to look at a Super Mario than a Star Fox. But Star Fox game was, it was revolutionary in a, in a way that it was a really good game. It was a flying game. You don't have many of those and. It was it was really good, but what it did for the creator side is it allowed them again. It pushed the boundary. It opened people's eyes to another way of developing a game, which spawned other things, which gave us better stuff. Once the hardware caught up, it's like they're ahead of their time. Star Fox could look much better if the hardware was where it needed to be for that type of game. But you got to push the limits first before you start realizing the capabilities that you need. So. I think, like I said, it was more revolutionary for the creators than it was the player, but we got a great game out of it. So I think it opened up Pandora's box. I think it gave developers a whole new toolkit to really fuck with. And they're like, all right, because think of all the 3D games that we've gotten since then. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is okay. This is pretty fucking awesome. I think Star Fox gets a lot of credit for being first. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think it gets the it, it gets credit for being, you know, instant classico is like oh yeah gotta pop in that old school star fox well i'll give him his credit when credit is due because without even telling us what game they were about to start getting into the moment they went to that place and started walking through those pillars my brain instantly said star fox yeah. this is star fox <laughs> and then that's and that's what it ended up being so i mean they did the job it, it it resonates and it stuck out right away that that's what they were talking about before they even actually started mentioning the fox and everything like that so so we get to the end here of the documentary, and we get uh, another note. We didn't talk about him about too. We didn't talk about him too much in the beginning of uh, this podcast because we wanted to save it a little bit toward the end. Because this gentleman, the name of Nolan Bushnell, uh, has been given the title, albeit uh, whether he deserves it or not. It's a very debatable topic because I went researching him after this and. He has kind of a hit-or-miss history when it comes to games, both villain and hero. It really all depends on which side you land on here. But he is given the title. A lot of people recognize him as the godfather of video games. This guy uh, ran one of the biggest arcade chains back in the day, really got the bug moving on all this. Uh, He got inspired when he stumbled into a warehouse with a uh, roommate of his and played uh, Space War. As we talked about earlier, that one little game where you're this triangle and you're shooting all these meteors and all this other weird shit. I've played that game a thousand times 
like I think you said, like the Pizza Huts and the old school little arcade thingies. And uh, he did that in 1964. And the documentary had uh, illustrated that the game itself had been played and created by some gentlemen who were in MIT. They referred to themselves as the Railroad Club because they were building model trains. Railroad speaks for itself. And they had created the game itself in 1962. And that is highly regarded. Uh electronically anyway, like like visually. I know people will look at the hat game that they had earlier in Japan, but as far as modern version of video games the way that we see them as today, that is regarded as the first. And if that's the first, and it was released in 62, that would place our lineage of video games, folks, everything that we just discussed in this two-hour and 43-minute <laughs> video that we just did, we just kind of selectively discussed about 60 years of fucking video games. Now, at the end of the documentary, there was a great line because it summed up all the episodes just really quickly, 30 seconds, just went over a bunch of shit. It ended with something that I thought was very, very interesting. It ended with, of all the things that we've done, imagine what will be tomorrow. And the funny thing is, is as soon as this episode was over, I, I went to go take a shower. I'm just chilling, hanging out, relaxing. And I thought to myself, I was like, you know what's funny? I just watched six episodes, almost 60 years worth of video game information. And I don't know where we go from here. Just like in 1998 or 2004, like video games is here. And it's like, man, I wonder where we're going to be tomorrow. And you see what's happened since. As much as technology has evolved, Jesus, what is next? Are we just going to... I like these movies. Uh, Are we going to be physically immersed? A more affordable and well-rounded VR, which I don't think they have given up on yet. I know they um, haven't because they have have them over here. Oh, mobile, yes. Mobile. Mobile is a competitor now. Some of the games that they're putting out are... uh, They're they're not just phone games anymore, man. These are... They're, they're starting to get into the realm of... There's a game that just came out. Uh, I don't know if it's the first one, but it's the first one that I know of, uh, of its scale. It's it's like a Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild, which is a newer open-world Zelda. I don't know if anything about that, but it's very similar to that. And it is cross-platform between... Well, not cross-platform as in to play across, because it's technically a single-player-ish type game, although there is some online compatibility to it. But most of the game is revolved around playing by yourself. Um, it is a game that is accessible on the iPhone, the computer, and both, and and I believe Xbox and PlayStation. So, yeah, mobile. If they continue on the road that they're on right now, uh, mobile is definitely going to be at the forefront of the gaming industry. Uh, the first thing that came to mind for me, you mentioned it right before you got on the mobile things, virtual reality. We have systems here in New York. Uh, fully op- Well, we did before Corona basically ate our asses alive and are continuing to eat our asses as we speak. All the ass. And we had two major VR setups here uh, in New York, two specifically in Manhattan. Uh, one of them, uh, Avengers designed, and the other one, Star Wars designed. The Avenger one... You literally put on these glasses, and I think it's a vest. I wasn't entirely sure. But the...
And we were we weren't online for it. We didn't want to do it. We went to the movie to go watch a movie, but outside of the booth or the area where they are, they have a screen that kind of plays what the simulation looks like. You know, when you put mm-hmm. the glasses on, how it looks, how it feels. Um, we went to a, a, a kids indoor playground. It's got video games and a runaround area and all that stuff. Stuff. They had a VR game where there is a. A full, it was, I want to say a full onesie because it was arms and legs, but you put your arms through and they gave you like a button snap. It was like a baby onesie, but it had like these strobes on it and the glasses and they gave you a gun and you would cock the gun and you would shoot it. And if someone hit you, like if you took damage, the onesie would like, not shock, but like vibrate in the area where you got hit. Yeah. So it was like if you got hit in the back or whatever, it would shake in the back or ribs or like they even like full body, like. In the area you got hit, it was like fucking. It would get. This shit is getting intense. It's turning into lawnmower man. God damn it. We're, well, <laughs> that's the same thing our parents thought that it was getting intense. So, well, they were right because it did <laughs> to a degree. I mean, we didn't summon any demons like they thought. No, no, they thought we were all going to go to hell or some super slow. And then I guess the judge is still out, but we, we, it's not what they thought it was going to be. That's another thing. Right. We're the generation that grew up with this. So, like, how do we react to shit like this? Like, are we going to be old men yelling at, at Cloud, or are we like, oh, no, yeah, this is the next evolutionary step. Go ahead, kids, have fun. Like, do we look at some of these games? You're like, I don't know if I want my kid in a VR machine all fucking day. Like the way that you sat in your room all day. I don't know if I want my son hooked up to a VR machine for several hours a day. Like what Bruce, what was that Bruce Willis movie where there were like avatars and these people were in their house like all the time. <laughs> and these things were just yeah. living their life. Like how far do we go with this? I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm Listen, as I don't have a kid, but I'm getting closer to the time where that might start, that's going to start becoming the conversation. I don't know, man. I'm thinking about that myself. Like, listen, there's a lot of things where I sit back and be like, look, man, I wasted my time doing this. I could have did this, that, whatever the case may be. But I'm also a firm believer and I don't like to change I don't like to change whatever I did in the past that may have been good or bad if it changes my present. Now, luckily for me, my well, unless your present is really bad, then you would want to change that. But my present, my present is fairly decent, and I'm working on it to get better. So you know, whatever that that is, what it is. But I don't know, man. It's 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 just one of those things you just gotta decide for yourself if your kid. See, the difference between me back then is I was just doing it because I loved it, and it didn't really turn it in. To anything like these guys but i didn't know of the other things around me like i'm aware of some stuff so i'm really gonna try my best when i have a kid that if i start to notice that he's enthralled uh i don't really care how much you throw yourself into it if it's something that you love and we can there's always a way to if there's one thing you've learned that there's always a way to turn something into a business or something you love as a career if I knew that sooner in life, I don't know what would have happened differently. Um, but now that I know that now, when I have a kid, if he starts to you know, go too ham on something, obviously you want some type of balance, but I don't want to neglect that, enth- you know, that enthrall they have because a lot of these guys' stories that we see on here who have built these amazing things, and I get it's one of a million that it'll happen to whatever, but it just comes from I'm just 
throwing themselves into the shit they love forever and then it just something comes of it so i don't know it's a weird line to walk it's just something got to come up well, and was, figure out how you want to handle it i was gonna end i was gonna end with that in the sense of the common thread if you really think about it from episode one to six all these people that achieved all these great things one of the common threads and you you explained it and and, and discussed it as uh balls now oh, this person's got balls this person got... every single person who did any of the things that we just talked about never once thought to themselves this might fuck up they just fucking did it they're like okay i'm gonna change this that's it they never even really thought about it a lot of nope. the stuff that we see is like man street fighter went from two characters to eight you know they just kept improving and when you hear them tell the stories it to them it's like logical steps it's like, okay, I want to make, like the lady who's, who made the first role-playing game, the instructional she goes, I like this. This is a cool thing. I want to do this. I'm going to do this. And then she just fucking did it. So it was like, for a lot of, there's a lot of people, how many, for everyone who was in this documentary, it was like, yeah, I did this, I did that. How many people were right next to them when they thought of this or was a part of the process that helped them think of this and then, these people are the ones who said, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to do it. But the people that helped them were like, I don't know, like second-guessing themselves. And now it's done, it's history. And they look at it and they go, like, how many people watched this documentary? It was like, fuck, I was in the room when that happened. If only I would have had the balls to just be like, fuck, yeah, let's do it. Like, how many people were like, well, that's a dumb idea. And then fucking did something else. And then here they go making millions and you're still tinkering with whatever you're tinkering with you just gotta my takeaway from this whole thing was just like you just gotta fucking go you just gotta fucking do it yep and that was the number one thing i got from yeah, this you just gotta fucking do it like even if it fucking blows up like if any of these people would have attempted like the guy in the football in the football game when he when he went on the train with madden this is what i can do i can do seven on seven i can do these features this is what i can do this is safe and he was like no we have to do this we have to do this we have to do this okay, it's going to technically be a nightmare, but let's see if we can do this. And they did. The dude who did E.T., he did Raiders in nine months. They were like, can you do a game in five weeks? <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. Definitely. 100%. Absolutely. And he did. It wasn't the greatest game, but to be fair, he did. That game was done and produced and massed all over the place. Now, it wasn't as good as people were hoping, but he fucking did it. You know, he was just right. like, yeah. He was on a cocaine-fueled binge, but he got the fucking job done. That was my biggest takeaway. It's like, just fucking do. You know, that was what that was the hump that I had to get over for this show. I had the podcast idea for almost two years. And now I'm literally on my third year doing it. And I, I every episode I do, I'm like, why didn't I do this sooner? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I just, and the, literally, as I watched the first two episodes, I got up. I literally stopped it after the second one. I stood up, I walked to my computer, I created my YouTube account, I created my socials for that YouTube account, it's all set up, I got a plugin, I haven't had the time, because I've literally, this week's been nuts, but I've gotten art finished for it that I've already sent to me, I just have to plug and play, I just upgraded my system, everything records at 1080p, and if everything goes well and I get the, you know, not motivation, but if I get the, I'm hopefully to get the, the juices flowing in my brain. And regardless of how ugly it looks, my goal for this weekend is to post my first YouTube video. And it comes from this documentary that I got from that vibe of everyone just just doing. 
Awesome. So I can't wait. We're going to share it out here. Guys, you're going to be able to look forward to that. I'm going to share it out on all the uh, the social media posts here. We'll get it out there. You guys should check it out when he puts it out. It's going to be dope. Co-host uh, of the City's Uncensored Mind doing his own YouTube it, show. See? It'll, it'll, be, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. It's, it's going to be my first video. Don't Take it easy. hype <laughs> yet. Let me get but, it done first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so next this week... Let's talk a little bit about next week so we can get out of here. Next week, uh, one of the big four. So I'm feeling obligated. I'm feeling froggy. So next week, we go live. <laughs> We're doing a roundtable. We're going to have some other voices join the show. Hopefully some new ones. I, I kind of want Stephen James on this one. I'm going to hit him up. But I definitely want to try to mix it up. This will be, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is going to be your first roundtable. Roundtable discussion, I believe, right? You never, you weren't a part of any of the previous. No, I wasn't a part of the other ones. All right. So we're going we're gonna to do that. We're going to bring some other minds to the table. We're going to have a discussion. Now, this particular Survivor Series, for a, for a hot minute, because I didn't do one for WrestleMania. For very simple reason, because I didn't want to watch WrestleMania, so fuck it. I talked about something else. I don't even remember. And for a hot minute, I didn't really want to do a Survivor Series one, because to be honest with you, I'm not that intrigued. But they spiked my curiosity when they gave me a bracket of The Undertaker's Greatest Survivor Series matches. Mm. So we we's going to be talking about this. If Survivor Series I is going to be the Taker So how, what exactly are you trying to do? Are you just going to go around and ask everybody going what to they first think, or are you going to run the bracket with them? Well, first of all, WWE is running the bracket. So what I'm mm-hmm. thinking is we could either do, we could discuss how what they did, or we could make up our own. It all depends on how. I think we should do our own. I, how many, That's how what many I'm leading for, to too. I only do four. So it'll obviously be me and you, and then I'm going to get two more. So it's going to be because to get more people. Okay, that's, 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 yeah, what that's we should do is. I don't know. You want to edit this, whatever. But what we should do is. Pitch, go ahead. You should let me. Like. Run through the matches and ask you guys. And then you guys could pick. And because there's three, there'll be a tiebreaker. And we could run the bracket that way all the way to the end. And see which one wins. I'm with it. Let's do it. Okay. And I'll host. I'm gonna. I'm like. I'm gonna like host it. I'm prevent. I'm gonna present the the matches. I'm gonna do some research. I'm gonna make it sound and feel nice so that you know we give a little information to the people listening, and then we'll we'll make our picks and we'll run the brackets. Okay. So just so I'm clear, you're going to present the matches round by yeah. round. Yep. And From top gonna, left all the way down, and we'll work around and the, the bracket. the three of us are to going to discuss each match as you bring it up. Yep. Sounds good. I'm with it. And then that way we have a three-way, and there's never there's, we don't sit on a tie. It'll cool. get broken get to man. However time. the chips fall, the chips fall. Cool. I get to play this time. That's fun. I'm into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And since I've seen every match he's ever had since his conception, uh, I should be good to go. And surely I will win because it is my show and I'm far superior intellectually than everybody else. And I'm going to watch every single one between now and the <laughs> Oh, Jesus. His neck homework. Yeah, because the high score thing was your homework assignment last yeah, week. But, yeah, but they're single matches. So it seems like a lot, but it's there's not like single I'm watching matches, a And believe it or not, record. because of his earlier run, a lot of these matches are not long. 
Uh, he's a right, big, he's and a that's another thing. Like I'm telling you, I have someone that I watch these matches with, so it's it's not as tedious to sit there by myself. Like we actually sit there, make fun of it, laugh. Like uh, we we, we I watch. Need to, I need to watch a stream with you guys. I would love to hear your buddy snapping on shit. That should be great. Well, dude, I have a uh, like. Oh, whatever. We'll get the Discord thing. But if you ever, I'll always let you know when Is like we're Discord watching again? something. Like we were watching Halloween Havoc the other day. And we were just cracking up, dude. It was just, it's so much fun just watching some of the old stuff. It was great. I was watching Halloween Havoc 89 today, and I'm like, yo, this is fantastic. So I have to, (laughs) if that's the case, if that's what we're going to do, I need to figure out who my competitors will be literally this weekend so that they have time. I don't think it'd be a necessarily competitor. It'd be more of a discussion. It will be competitor and I will destroy them. I will take everything that they have from them, their women, their children, their financial situations. They will be in ruin. I expect nothing less. They're going to be blonde. They're going to be blackballed from Zoom when this shit is over. Zoom will be too ashamed of having (laughs) these users on their server after this is over. Taker himself will come here and shake my hand because I'm of my wealth it. of knowledge. We're gonna, we'll, we'll make this one a, uh, it'll be, it'll be really, we'll be, it, this will be fun. It's going to be fantastic. All right, we're going to hit the three-hour mark now, so we're going to go ahead and wrap this baby up. So there we go, folks. I If you didn't hear me say a day, it's because I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure if we're going to do Friday or on Saturday. Uh, I have a lot of uh, shit going on, to be honest with you, because I've been, I know you've been, held up on a lot of shit. I've got shit that I've got to do this coming week as well. I'm. Uh, we may have to go. I don't know what your schedule looks like. We may have to do this on Saturday, uh, the 21st, which is uh, before. My only problem with that is the last time I did a roundtable, which was SummerSlam, I did it on Saturday, and that's NXT. And a lot of people told me they're like, "Damn, bro! Like, I wanna, I wanted to watch it, but I was also watching NXT." Two people were watching both. Uh, they were watching our show and they were watching NXT. So I don't know. Um, are you available Saturday? Yeah. Okay. I'm available I'm anytime will... after six, and Saturday I'm I'm off. If we make plans, I can work it out. There we go. So we'll uh, we won't make it a hard deadline. I'll do a commercial or something to really announce it sometime out of the week, but. I'm looking at the 21st. We may have to do it earlier in the day just so it doesn't collide with uh, with NXT, but we'll figure it out. So that's it, folks. Next week we're going to do uh, Survivor Series. This week was high score. This was fun. I'm going to – it got late on me, so I don't know what my plans are now, but I definitely had fun. This was great. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for downloading. Thank you guys for enjoying. And, of course, no, I said that wrong. I say it wrong every time. I need a new fucking ending. Because I keep, no matter how how I keep doing this, I keep fucking it up. So, I'm not editing any of this out, by the way. I'm leaving all of this in there. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for liking. Thank you for, We're going live. We're going live. Fuck it. Thank you for liking. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for downloading. And, of course, thank you all for enjoying. You see how it flows different when it's right? Jesus Christ. Episode 165. We've bequeathed. 100 episodes now pay him. And make sure that you buy my husband's t-shirt at ProWrestlingTees.com slash A-J-O-U-N. Please, he needs this. Listen to my daddy's show. He's the best, so I don't know.